Okay, well, welcome back and good afternoon, everybody. Um, we'll start now going through the IDP in the way that I explained um, just before lunch. Hopefully you won't all nod off after your lunch and uh, I've been able to have some fresh air. So what I intend to do, as I said, is go through it point by point and hopefully that will save a bit of time rather than everybody kind of going around all the different bits and pieces. Um, I'll ask the council to contribute as we go along if there's particular areas that I've got questions about and then at the end if anybody wants to chip in anything further that they think I've missed then feel free to, um, to put your name plates up. So, page one. Um, sorry, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Um, before we do that, might it be helpful to have a little bit of context from... Um, yeah, if, you're, of, if that's helpful, yeah. yeah. Uh, in that case, I'd like to invite Mr Herbert to give a little bit of context on how the IDP was developed. Okay, okay thank you. Thanks very much. Yes, John Herbert, Troy Planning uh, for the District Council. Um, so just to help with some scene setting, I think first in terms of the chronology of the various documents, uh, just to help uh, understand how we've got to where we've got to. So uh, between May and July 2017, the first version of the IDP was prepared, which uh, considered and included reference to all of the uh, guiding communities submitted for consideration at that time, for which there were seven on the table. Uh, in May, June 2018, it was then uh, published as an update uh, focusing uh, primarily on the three preferred guarding communities in the draft plan. In December 2018, uh, there was a minor update uh, to clarify some of the calculations with regard to community centres. In February 2019, uh, and in response to uh, your matters, uh, some various updates, including the topic paper, uh, was prepared. And then uh, last week, as, we, as we've heard earlier, uh, a further version was updated, responding to um, so queries and questions raised in the uh, first week of the EIP. Uh, I think in terms of the process of the IDP, it's fair to say that it's uh, an iterative process, quite an open process. It's been informed uh, by workshops, uh, meetings, discussions, ongoing dialogue with the service providers responsible for infrastructure delivery. Um, so the findings, uh, comments, requirements in there are directly informed by those organisations responsible for planning and delivering uh, infrastructure in Uttersford. It has also been informed by various workshops, meetings, discussions with the promoters of three garden communities uh, and updates uh, through their work. Um, so, as I say, it uh, responds to uh, most up-to-date information directly from those people uh, delivering planning for infrastructure in the area. We think it's proportionate to, uh, for the local plan. Uh, and uh, clearly, as we go through, uh, others on the table can uh, answer in more detail on specific points. Okay, so my, my first question was, um, so we're talking, we'll principally be looking at the July 2019, which is the, the most up-to-date one and obviously the most relevant. Um, 
But there was, um, I think this is pointed out by some representatives, and I don't know whether I know the answer already, but um, this, the version in December on the North Uttlesford, the first um, line, had the M11 Junction 19 works, and that now has disappeared. Sorry. M11 Junction 9. Junction 9, yeah. Sorry, what did I say? 19. 19. Oh, sorry, okay. I meant 9. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking if you was awake after lunch, you see. It's a long lunch. <laughs> Junction 9. Yes, that's now disappeared from the... Is that because that work is that, funded? That, no, that's disappeared because following on from discussions we had with Highways England, uh, there was no real evidence behind the, the need for that. And there is now a study that um, Cambridgeshire have commissioned, um, which is looking actually at the A505 in particular, but it's really trying to come up with the best solution for traffic that wishes to turn effectively right off the M11 spur and towards Cambridge, and likewise left the other way. Is that the best location for it at the M11, or is it better to upgrade and improve the, the A505 throughout its length between the A11 and the, and the M11? So that's a piece of work that's about to be commissioned by, um, uh, say, Cambridgeshire um, County Council. So, so that's why that piece of work has been set aside, because that, there was no evidence behind the, the actual need of that. Okay. So that if line might go in, in with a different project, if you like, with a different funding requirement? It, it would be a, a different funding requirement and obviously it would be promoted by, by Cambridgeshire County Council because it's required uh, within, primarily within their jurisdiction um, and they would, they would seek funding for that, more than likely from, from national funding through the Major Road Network Fund which has been set up recently by the Department for Transport. Okay, and how long would that take to get that funding, that that whole process of you know deci deciding what it is is the best option, applying for funding, knowing that that funding is available, how long that, that process generally takes? Once they've got a consultant on board, they're talking about an 18-month study. Right. Um, so it's quite a long period because they need to do a lot of work. And then it will be a matter of, of, of waiting for appropriate funding opportunities to, to arise, um, from usually from government funding, as say from the major road network fund would be the most... Um, relevant one, but you could also be looking, if you can relate it to housing and, and so on, to things like the Homes Infrastructure Fund or, or other funding. So there's never a guarantee with those because they are central government funding. You put a bid in and you wait and hope that you're um, successful. So how long, when do you think that's likely, when, if, if it was successful, when do you think the money would be available to, I'm just thinking of timescales in terms of how that would affect the timescales of the delivery of the... It, it's very difficult to be specific at all right. because unless, you, unless there's a funding pot available and if the government changes, there might be a different mechanism. Um, so it, it's really, really difficult to, to nail down national, what would be effectively a national infrastructure uh, funding um, okay. mechanism. But you would expect, bearing in mind the road, the 505 is effectively more or less at capacity now. Um, obviously something's going to have to be done in the relatively near future. So you would think if they put in a bid for it, it would be fairly near the top of the list. But as I say, it's really how long's a piece of string. It's almost impossible. I could say five years, ten years, and I could be five or ten years out. Um, so okay. it's really uh, difficult to nail those sort of things down. Okay. Could any part of North Uttlesford, would it sort of, um, impede, uh, cause problems in terms of the deliverability of it? Is that required from day one or...? year five or 
No, it's, it's not required from day one. The, the, the improvements which we're looking at and which are included in the IDP are improvements at what's locally known as the McDonald's roundabout and at the um, M11 Junction 10. Those are the two key improvements on that road, just to keep it moving in the, in the short to medium term. Okay. So how, would that, would, is that likely to affect the early years of the deliverability of North Uttlesford, or is it, is it longer term that... No, that, that's still sort of a little while down the, the line. It's not an immediate um, requirement. Right, okay. Then the next, um, the next line on the... Well, it's the first line, I suppose, because that, that was one that's disappeared off it. But um, So the first line is improvements to M11 Junction 10 at roundabout with A505. Is that... That's, oh, that's right. So is, that's the same one. Okay. So that's, re, that's actually instead of... or in, As well, uh, we don't need the top one. We just, we just need that one now. You, you, you would need, say, the M11 Junction 10 and also the, the subsequent one, which was the one I referred to as the McDonald's roundabout. Okay. So that was previously marked as critical in the previous IDP and it's now marked as necessary. Is there a reason for that? What's the reason for that downgrading? Of it, it's just that it, it's not needed on day one. There's been more modelling work done um, related to that, so uh, hence the, the timing. And the costs here, this five to nine million pounds for interim scheme, it says costs will be met with contributions from developers if a strategic scheme is identified prior to delivery of the interim scheme. These costs will be allocated to the strategic solution. It's not clear who would pay for that, whether the developers would be required to pay for any of it or would it be all funded centrally from government? They're primarily developer funded. Primarily developer, so five to nine millions primarily developer. Okay. So there's lots of these things where as we go through and then the, the, at the end we'll need to sort of consider as well when we get to viability later on as have these up, updated and latest costs been figured into the viability assessment which we'll come to but that's sort of where my thinking's going as these things have updated. Um, so the next one is the same. It's um, improvements to capacity at the roundabout with the A505, A1301. Um, again, previously critical, now necessary. Is that for the same It's for the same reason. There's been more work done and th there's been agreements with the Highways England. Okay. And that, that cost recovery would primarily come from the developer? Right. Okay. Is everybody else is everybody else struggling to hear or, or a few people? Okay. I think it's maybe when both mics are on, so maybe if I switch mine off in between, we'll just have to. Uh... I think he needs to speak closer to the mic. He's got one of those really lovely soft voices. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry to interrupt, but I really like to hear. No, that's it. yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll try harder. Madam, madam, just before we move off that topic of those particular two improvements you uh, will be aware but won't necessarily have at the forefront 
of your mind. The statement of common ground that was agreed between um, the District Council, Uttlesford, Grosvenor Developments, Essex County Council that Mr Sprawl obviously speaks for, Sprout, <laughs> at uh, Highways England, um, at paragraph 3.16, uh, refers to that further modelling which has been undertaken by PBA, uh, the consultants acting for Grosvenor. And um, sets out at 3.16 what is agreed by all parties. I see the parties being the County Council as the local highway authority, Highways England as the, effectively the, the strategic authority responsible for uh, the M11 as the uh, strategic road network, uh, and uh, <coughs> the District Council. Uh, and then uh, refers to a series of bullet points as to what is uh, needed or not needed at particular time points. So that, that in a sense, that summarises the latest position agreed by the relevant authorities, and obviously that feeds in, therefore, to the, one of the reasons why the, as it were, the infrastructure requirements have been changed during the course of the iteration of the, uh, the two different IDPs from January through to July. So that's one of the recent... Um, documents, yeah. isn't it, this statement of common ground yeah. that's been signed by all parties. Thank you. Does that cover the next point as well about the stump cross? Yes. Right. Okay. And again, all those th works, are those required at what point, do you think, in terms of the development? Are any of them required to get the development off the ground day one? Yes, right, okay. So they're later in the day. Dependent on the 505 study, obviously, and the, yeah. the outcomes of that. Um, so... Uh, that, that will give us some indication whether the improvements that are already proposed are still relevant or need to be changed or, or, or something else different. So that, that's really the point at which we we'll start to make some decisions. So there's still quite a lot of work underway. Still quite a lot of work underway trying to resolve some of those issues. Okay. So then the next, um, which is actually green, if you've got a coloured version of it, which is titled as important, is the Great Chesterton, Hinkston, Ickleton and Duxford contributions for traffic management, safety, pedestrians, etc. It's a fairly small amount in comparison to the millions we've just been uh, um, talking about. Um, so that's contribution from developer, delivery by developer or um, Essex County Council. So... That's likely to be a requirement of the developer to pay that. Yes, and these would be early on, as I think it says at the last column there, first occupations, because these are the immediate impacts of, of the development on the local population. Thank you. Um, and then the next point was contribution towards improvements in Saffron Walden, which seemed a little bit um, vague. I don't know whether they set out anywhere else. 
um, and that's delivered by Essex County Council, costs two to three million. Um, Section 106 money is already collected for mitigation from consented development. Um, again, is it necessary for the development to get off the ground? Is that money, although it's already collected, is it permissible to use it for this scheme that well, they, they, these are schemes that are already identified in, in Saffron Walden, so they're schemes that are committed to specific developments already there, so they're not needed specifically related to, to this development to, to fund. They are funded by other, other parties, which will give headway in the, in the network. So there's, no, so there's no cost from this development for that item? Okay. And then it says that they'll be done by the end of the plan period, so presumably they're not necessarily immediately to for this development. No, I mean, they depend on the speed of which some of the other developments uh, progress and right. through and hit trigger points and so on for that money to be released. Okay. And is there a chance that some of those developments might not happen? So are there developments that are... Have they all kind of started to be built or are the developments have been relied on that have not started and might not happen or...? I think all of them have now been started. There are some other ones that are coming on board, so there will potentially be more funding that will come forward. So that's anyway. kind of guaranteed funding, if you like. Okay. Um, and then the next one is local level highway infrastructure enhancements will also be required, not including junctions already identified above, likely to encompass walking and cycling link to Chesterford Research Park. Um, delivered by contribution or works by developer. And again, it's four to five million estimate in the first instance, but this will be clarified through the plan application process. So that's kind of a bit of an, um, a general ballpark figure. This is to cover the more detailed aspects that would come out of any transport assessment relating to more sort of local works around walking, cycling and so on from the site. So is that a fair estimate, do you think that's? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, sustainable travel promotion and package. Again, it's a developer, delivery by developer or Essex County Council, so 450,000 for this plan period, and it looks like it's an early, early days sort of payment. Um, the thing that slightly worried here was who's going to pay it. It's an R, and, and you know I think we need to be clear about who's paying for what in terms of you know in, when looking at viability and things, because although it's not a significant amount in the grand scheme of things cumulatively these amounts can kind of add up to to significant amounts this, this would come from 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 the developer uh, of the site so. so it would be the developer not yeah. the county council yeah. okay so we're on to page three now um sustainable travel bus um, potential for extension of existing services during early occupations. Strategy includes new regular bus service with a, with a minimum of 20-minute frequency connecting the Welcome Genome Campus, Whittlesford Railway Station and Granter Park via the A11 and A505. Um, so that says it's been delivered by the bus, bus company. Estimated 2 to 3 million. Final costs will be informed by viability assessment submitted as part of the application. Um, so, yeah, there's a question mark there, I suppose, if there's not enough money in the scheme, because that, if there's a viability assessment 
and the developers say, well, we can't fund that, or, you know, it's a choice between, for example, this or affordable housing or um, whatever else, does that put that at risk? Is there any other funding stream for that? Or? I mean, this, this as, as you can guess by, by the places which it visits, is actually a cross-boundary um, thing with Cambridgeshire and yeah. South Cams. So there would be funding come from, from other sources for, for this. In fact, they've, they've actually got a, a study of their own um, ongoing looking at how these sites can be, the science parts can be linked together to better improve sustainability. So there's opportunities to, to work with them to, to have a, a joint approach. Okay, so there is sort of some slight uncertainty over the final cost of that. That seems like an early delivery. Um, it, it's, it's an early indication of the sort of level of cost, yeah. Okay, but it's required from fairly early in the development phases as well, so... Yes, because what, what, what we've always said with the sites to achieve the levels of sustainability that we yeah. want, we need to get sustainable transport on the ground from day one yeah. and like historically where it appears halfway through the development yeah. and people have already made their travel choices yeah. we need to get these things off the ground early yeah. okay thank you um, the next bit is about sustainable transport bus passenger transport infrastructure improvements in Great Chesterford again it's there's an all there um, so contribution or delivery by developer so that's basically going to be a requirement of the developer to provide that on, on first occupation. So that's, again, small in the scheme of things, but these things sort of gradually add up, don't they? The next um, one is about sustainable bus cycle link from site to Granter Park, um, delivery by developer slash Essex County Council, um, possible CPO for the bus element. So that's presumably a need for land purchase outside the control of the county council or the developer yeah the, the walking and cycling route is potentially possible on existing highway land not necessarily Essex <coughs> but highways England um, land whereas the bus route is um, over as you said private currently private land so that potentially requires CPO if no agreements can be reached what sort of time scale do those sorts of things normally take, the CPO for that sort of land? It depends on, on how many objections you get to it, but if you said three years, you could probably be fairly comfortable with that. So this would be a cost of £10 million to the development, that's, yeah, okay. And this is the end of plan period, so it wouldn't be required from day one, but it'd be... Uh, something that needed to be done fairly swiftly like you say before people building patterns of um, transport and things that are unsustainable what we try and achieve is, is, is some form of um, the, the sort of bus rapid transit type thing that we're proposing further yeah. south but early on and so it's accepted that those would, might run on existing roads or existing routes to start off with but at least there's a service running where you might be able to do some minor interventions but the idea is, is that by the end of the plan period you do have these bigger pieces of infrastructure in as the sites grow to a level where that can be justified so this is an interim sort of measure hmm. yeah okay so we're on to page four, which um, is sustainable travel walk cycle. So walking cycling contribution for improvements between the site and Great Chesterford, Saffron Walden, Welcome, Gymnome um, campus. 
Chesterford Research Park, Granter Park, uh, and towards Cambridge, includes improved crossing points, new and improved walking, cycling routes, and tie-in with the planned improvement schemes. So contribution or um, delivery by developer, Essex County Council, Highways England, Cambridgeshire County Council. Um, so it's not clear um, exactly who would pay what on that. Is that... Is that the case? Is it sort of four and a half to five and a half million? Yeah, it would, would be developer uh, contribution again to, for, for that. Right. Okay. Um, some, some of these others are, are sites that also are under planning application, like the Welcome Genome. Uh, they've got a planning application at the moment as well. So there might be funding from other sources uh, come along to assist in, in providing a lot of these facilities. Okay, so it's not entirely clear at the moment what exactly the, the requirement would be from this developer. No, it's, all, it's always the problem with some of these is it's a bit of a moving feast that with, with other developments coming forward which weren't necessarily in anybody's local plans but are, are progressing anyway through planning. Okay, so things like the genome and things, yeah. Okay. Um, but that would be required before first occupation, it says, doesn't it? So that's an early funding requirement. Um, moving on to rail, support for improvements to station facilities at Whittlesford Parkway and Great Chesterton stations. Um, contribution by the developers, Ang uh, Greater Anglia. Um, so have, they agreed, have they agreed to provide that funding? Or? This is a part funding because there are proposals at um, Whittlesford Parkway uh, that, are being, that are moving forwards at the moment. Yes, I read um, about those. So some uh, sort of a multi-storey car park and, yeah, and things potentially of that capacity sort. and things, yeah. So there would, there would be contributions to that and to, likewise, at uh, Great Chesterford, um, where you, there's potential <laughs> to get money from uh, the train operating company or, or network rail for improvements. So it might be a case of the developer has to contribute something towards that, but yeah. that 500,000 has been partly met by... That, that, that's, that would be potentially their contribution. The actual cost for multi-storey car parks is significantly more. Oh, than right, that, okay, yeah. And those works, because it's required planned delivery first five years, is that the time scale that the rail operators are working to? Is that... They're, they're a bit of a law unto themselves, so right. it, it would be difficult to commit them at this stage to, to a specific timescale, but obviously we would like to see it within the first five years. Okay. I mean, they've already got a problem at um, Whittlesford Parkway with people parking some distance from the station on roads because there's no, no parking, um, so there is a huge pressure there to do something. Okay. Um. Page five, so we're on to electricity now. <laughs> electricity supply from Thaxted Grid to new primary substation on site. Developed, so it's delivered, it says, by developer and UKPN. Um, so UKPN provided a budget estimate of 8,900,000 plus VAT um, to lay the cables uh, from Thaxted Grid to new primary substation. This cost includes non contestable and contestable costs. The estimated cost of the primary substation is three to four million. I wasn't clear who was going to pay for that. Is that a, requir a requirement of the developer? Or, um... 
Um, this information has come from uh, UKPN. Um, they advise that um, so they uh, have such a requirement, obviously, to provide for uh, certain items, uh, but there will be a cost from the developer to help contribute to uh, cables and connections. Uh, UKPN advise that in terms of timings, um, there is capacity in the early years of the development pr program to allow for uh, the first few years of development to uh, commence before there's a need for um, on-site substations to be provided. So what would the rough cost be to the developer then, the three to four million? Or? Um, we can uh, clarify that with you for you. Okay. Next bit, uh, on-site electric network and connections to 5,000 dwellings um, developed. So it's similar to above, isn't it? Um, uh, so UKPN have provided a budget estimate of 5,700,000. Um, are you able to provide any more information on the cost? No, that, that's road in as part of the... As part of the same, previous, okay. Yeah. Page six, Wi-Fi and broadband. So basically, providing that for um, for the homes. Um, so it'd be delivered by obviously the normal providers. Um, there's no cost uh, known at, at this point. Is that um, but it'd be required by year one? Do you have no idea whatsoever what the cost would be or? Um, a bit beyond what we've got there. Um, no. Okay. Pre presumably, would it be a cost per dwelling or a bulk cost? Or? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll confirm that for you. There's a relationship with sort of scale okay. of development. Um, gas. Reinforcement will be required. Developers may be required to pay a for a connection charge, new homes will no longer be heated by gas from 2025, therefore gas demand would be lower. So this is something that will kind of slip away as um, time moves on. It's, again, it's another unknown cost, it seems. Have you got any more updates on that? Uh, there's no, no, no updates uh, beyond uh, it's, uh, in the schedule. And then the um, council's detailed water cycle study. There is expected to be a need for further um, investment by Anglian Water at Great Chesterford WRC to accommodate the foul flows from this development together with other developments in the catchment over the plan period. Uh, again, it doesn't seem to, there seems to be no cost known for that or timing. Are you able to provide any update? We have a statement of common ground with um, Anglian Water, but it doesn't add a huge amount to that. So essentially it's in the um, estimated costs and likely funding sources. So it's upgrades, usually funded by the water company, and then recharge. That's yeah. a fairly standard process. So it's a cost to the development ultimately? Yeah. But we don't know how much that will be. No. Okay. 
Um, so seven goes on to the, it's the same thing. So page eight, waste. Additional waste facilities to reflect changes in local population and demand. This includes enhanced provision of recycling facilities for household waste, as well as new facilities for recycling, etc. Seems to be an unknown again. And have got any updates on that or costs or likely costs? Uh, no, beyond Essex advising that this is something that needs to be reviewed. There's an acknowledgement that uh, existing waste facilities are uh, in the area are quite close to uh, sort of capacity uh, and therefore more needs to be provided. As the schemes uh, come forward, uh, they'll be subject to uh, 106 developer contributions uh, for each of the sites of the quantum scoped out through the DPD process. Now on to education. Um, so new nursery provision will be required plus 106 developer funds. If new school need is identified, new nursery provision could be built at the same time. There's a need for 173 childcare spaces. Um, so the cost was put at 1.1 million per standalone 56 place nursery but it wasn't clear who would pay for that or whether it portion would be paid for by the developer and part by the council the county council all of the um, education uh, entries in here are informed directly by essex's local education authority and reflect their uh, population modeling child yield ratios uh, to determine the um, number of school places and when they were likely to be required. Uh, the costs and timings in this uh, reflect the developer contributions strategy. Uh, and the question with regard to early years is um, there's preference for uh, those to be accommodated with primary school provision so it's uh, subject to sort of the ongoing rice planning process as to whether um, that land and those facilities can be combined okay so that's fairly common now isn't it for that sort of combined facility um, and so that's the same with the next few isn't it so those figures that are given 9.8 million 6.5 25.2 3 million for education they're all they would be all developer costs Okay. And then these timings, some of these, presumably these timings, because uh, there are actually dates in these, isn't they, on planned year of delivery, would they move a little bit to take account of the change in the trajectory that we've got, Mr. Miles? Yeah. Yes. So yes. they'd need to they'd sort of move a little bit uh, as the. Yes, that's right. Um, so we're on to GP surgery. Um, roughly one GP per 2,000 residents, etc. Um, so it says NEGC suggested primary healthcare facilities based on 120 square metres at 2,300. This will be funded by the developer. So I, what I just wanted to check, is this going to be one health centre or it would be an extension to an existing centre somewhere or? Um, the, the, these entries for the garden communities, this is for a new provision in the garden communities. So it would be a standalone yeah. facility. Okay. 
it's just that seemed quite cheap to me i've never built a health center or whatever but uh, but if you times that out it seemed quite a, the figure seemed quite low but presumably that's what you've been given by yeah we're, we're reflecting the <laughs> data that's been provided and that's uh, reflective of the uh, new Sussex garden communities work right okay Um, and then we go on to um, lots of public home space type items, allotments, etc. I notice lots of these, I think, um, have reduced in area from previous iterations. I think some of that's linked to the um, open space study, is it, that, that was done? It's to reflect the most up-to-date guidance, is it? That, that, that's correct. The previous iterations reflected the studies that had been prepared for the council in 2012, I believe, um, and uh, sort of general information available via Sports England and others. Uh, the council has, as you know, has recently published its new open space play pitch uh, studies yeah. uh, between Feb and May this year so much of the information in this section and indeed for three of the guided communities is uh, a summary of the uh, of the material from that okay so we won't go through these one by one because i think sort of speak for themselves and i think what struck me is there's quite a lot of unknown costs again in this um the, some of these um, but then there's a sort of huge cost as well of things like um, an outdoor pitch facilities of 1.35 million um, for all pitch types etc so there are some big costs in there as well that when we come on to the viability assessment we need to be clear whether those sorts of costs have been um, factored in is there anything you particularly wanted to draw my attention to in any of those or no um, so yeah, uh, again we go through and there's indoor sports halls and things. Um, that says investment in resource to drive program changes, but there isn't really a, a cost or a it, would that be provided by the school or so we're on page twelve now, the second line down. We, we will check with the uh, new open space uh, document for you. Will that be a cost to the developer, whatever the cost is? I think that's a, a requirement uh, that would be delivered uh, as part of the schools or uh, a private leisure operator as part, uh, part of the scheme. So there'll be some contribution required. Um, and then the last line on that page, um, so again, a a large amount 2.88 million and it says delivered by the council or developer if private and again it's a quite a large amount to be sort of unknown or it might be it might it might be you or it might be you kind of cost are you able to clarify which 
um, I think it's the same as uh, uh, responses before. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll check. I mean, it depends on uh, who operates that uh, facility, and that's a district-wide requirement as well. So it's not a, uh, it's not 2.88 million pound from this garden community. It's contributions across from a number the of districts uh, uh, to that amount. Um, so over the page on 13, again, there's no no known costs at this time for any of those things. Um, potentially some cumulatively a significant cost, but uh, that's not known. I presume we can't add anything to that at the moment. That's... Yeah, I think also it's probably worth acknowledging that uh, a lot of these open space types uh, will come forward through the master planning process and um, some of these can be uh, sort of accommodated in uh, and or as part of the sort of same wider part of open space uh, and it will be teased out through that process alongside the DPDs. Okay. And it's the same on page 14, that's sort of a continuation, isn't it? And then we get to west of Braintree. Um, and on this one, I think, from what I can see, from what my scribblings, um, the Chelmsford North East bypass has gone from a previous iteration. Do you know why? It's actually quite remote from, from here, and I think the, the contribution that would be expected would be quite small. So in terms of the overall cost of that, which is uh, around about $200 million, um, it was excluded from anything except from the Chelmsford and Braintree um, districts. Right, so there'd be no contribution required from it at all? No, that's no. correct. Okay. Um... And then we come to road improvements set out in North Essex Garden Communities Movement and Access Study. Um, so delivered by developer, County Council, Highways England. Um, so the estimated cost and likely funding source, Dunmore Junction, B1256, 3 million. Um, that appeared from a previous iteration that the costs had gone down. I think that's what my writing says. I think these and the next one just reflect a more detailed understanding of what would be required and similar junctions that have been constructed elsewhere. Okay, so they have they've gone the price the costs have been refined. Yeah. And then it says delivered by, and then there's three different options. Would it be a mix of those, or would the developer be required to fund that? Or? It would be a, a developer funding. It would be delivered by any of those. Well, I would say two rather than Highways England necessarily, particularly the Dunmow East one would only be ECC or developer. Uh, the Hoblongs Junction, in theory, could be HE, but I don't think in reality that would be the case. It would once again be uh, Essex or the developer. But the, the total funding would come from the developer, from the developer rather than any central funding. Yeah. Okay. 
that there are in fact other developments which are going to do improvements at the Hoblongs Junction potentially as well so it might end up being a contribution to, to that. Okay. Um, so we're on to sustainable travel, active modes and re public realm. So it says this item is the overarching item for the following specific cycle schemes and presented on a pro rata basis for the Uttlesford element. The figures below are an overall full costs for the individual piece of infrastructure which would be shared with Braintree, part of the development for the whole build out, not just for this plan period. So obviously it's quite a significant cost there. Um, that would be spread across that. Um, there's quite a few mentions in the IDP to um, these 106 funds from Tarmac Quarry. I just wanted to check, presumably somebody's looked at the, the um, Section 106 agreement, whatever it is, that, that sought this money to check that it's permissible to spend the money in this way, that it's not been... I would have to check on, on that one. I don't know um, where that's... Yeah, there's a reference to it in a few places. Um, no. no, we would have to check on that one. Okay. So again, they're quite significant chunks of, uh, of money, isn't it? And then we come to, um, so that's the same for the next one, which is the shared use footway, cycleway, three metres wide where possible, etc. And then um, river brain to rain village um, to connect the Lincoln Flitchway and the rain village and garden community at Blakehen Junction, um, which then talks about the active quarry frontage um, so there's a cost there, presumably, in integrating those works. So you'll need to uh, just check on that, particularly because that the second point of that requires first phase of delivery. The next point is about Queenborough Lane provides access from rain to Skyline 120 and Great Notley. Notley. It is um, potentially used as a rat run given it allows motorists to avoid the A120, A131 junction and the demand for this movement may increase with development at the west of Braintree Garden community. The proposal is to restrict access to the road at one end of its length to cycles and local residents to be defined but suggested as those currently reside, resident in Queensbury Lane and so it goes on. Um, and again here, is that, that 250000 that's from the developer, is it? Yes, I think we need to bear in mind that lots of these costs that we're now talking about actually are from the Braintree part as well as the, that's, yeah. the Uttlesford part. So, it's, so yeah, they're going to spread uh, across a, a bigger area and more houses, etc. Indeed, yeah. and lots of these proposals now are actually within Braintree District as opposed to, to Uttlesford. Yes. I wasn't sure what LSTF was. What's that um, acronym? <sighs> Fund. Right, okay. And it was the same question for the next one, which I think we've covered that. 
and again that was the question about the consideration of the use of the um, funding from the quarry it needs to be checked out to make sure that's permissible isn't it that uh, otherwise presumably this three to six million is a cost for that for the whole development Um, page 19, um, an adequate surface bridge already exists, so it's, um, it provides a link, um, this particular element as far as I could see. And it says um, Essex County Council to deliver. Is there any funding in place for that? It says the funding, the cost would be minimal, but is that a developer cost? or is it? I have to say, I'm not quite sure on that, bearing in mind it is only a limited cost. It may be something that can be picked up through other things, but I think for the assumption of this, it would be a minor cost against the developer. Okay. And then the same point on the next one, which I don't think we need to look at in details again. Um, assumption that some, might, some money might come from the 106 from tarmac quarry site and then we're on to the sustainable travel bus so new bus services um, provided linking the site east west as well as south to Chelmsford um, so that was a cost that was unknown in December 2018 I think when we looked at the it's obviously a new cost and again a question which we'll come on to is has that been factored into viability and things that some of these costs that were unknown at the time 20, page 21 um, initial phases of rapid transit and we have got more um, up to date figures I think have come out on that fairly recently haven't they um, I didn't have any particular questions on that um, unless anybody is there anything you wanted there would be a, an update to those figures they, um, so they'd be much more detailed now than, than they were at that time well the, this is July 2019 is it so they are quite recent these figures so I think I presumed they were based on the most up to date evidence in terms of the <laughs> they are actually the latest yeah. figures yes that seemed to sort of tally, yeah. Okay. Um, and again, we're on to electricity um, and who pays for it. And I think you said that you'd need to check on that in terms of this UKPN developer versus so that's yeah. three to four million. That's correct. I think for the utilities section uh, and indeed much of the uh, social community infrastructure is a similar response for from the, the previous the one yeah. yeah and then the same again and the uh, fiber internet uh, fiber based internet access And then the waste, again, it was presumably a similar answer that there needs to be some work on that, but there's no cost known at the moment. Um, and the gas, same. Yeah. And then the education, presumably their font cost to develop a, yeah. 
and the GP again, it's the same. Uh, and then, then we get onto the green bits, which are the social infrastructure, the allotments and things, and I presume that's similar again, that these costs are for the developer, um, but there's quite a lot of unknowns at the present time, and they've been updated to take account of the latest... That, 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 that's right, and the difference with this part of the uh, schedule, as David has already mentioned with regard to some of the transport items, the um, area-wide for the, the whole of the garden community, um, the new open space study for Uttlesford um, in respect of West Braintree just zooms in and calculates those requirements for that part of the development in Uttlesford. So hence there's a slightly different... Uh, Sorry, these costs are just for the west of Braintree and Uttlesford. That, that, that's right. There's no asterisk at the end of each item, uh, just to clarify that. Uh, so that's for the allotments, uh, play space, outdoor pitch facilities, um, swimming pools, and green space, straight community green space requirements. And Braintree will have their own assessment that will denote what requirements... And then we get on to Eastern Park. Um, so page 32, the um, highways, so motor, uh, M11, Junction 8, medium term capacity improvement. So that's fully funded, so that's not a cost to this developer. No, that's correct. No. And then the next one is local level highway infrastructure enhancements will also be required um, at, at planning stage, but there's no costing of that, is there any? No, because that that's sort of will come as part of any, any transport assessment in due course. Okay. And then improvement to A120 junction west of Dunmo, so that's beyond the plan period. Um, is there anything anybody wants to add about? There's nothing particular on that. That is just a capacity improvement required once, once the development gets into its latter page, say stages. Right, okay. And then sustainable travel promotion and package and monitoring. Um, so that's delivery by developer again or um, the county council. Presumably that's um, the, the funding will come from the developer. Yes. Yeah. And that's a required early days, isn't it, from first occupation? Yeah. Um, the passenger bus service, um, on-site infrastructure improvements and various services. Again, this is an interim measure, is it? These are all the sorts of things we talked about on, on the um, North Uttlesford one, where we, we want to get these developments, these sustainable travel in early on in the plan period. Okay. 
And then the sustainable travel, bus rapid transit again, those costs are presumably the most up-to-date ones based on the most up-to-date evidence. Um, yeah. Bus rapid transit again, same point. And then on the top of page 34, the walking, cycling and bus links to Stansted Airport would need to be improved as part of the package of transport measures. There doesn't seem to be a cost associated with that. Well, I'm sure there is a cost, but there's no cost. There's no cost included at this stage. In, no. In here. When will that be known? That'll be known once we get into the TA stage again. Right. So that would be at the application stage, yeah. Direct pedestrian and cycle linkage to town centre and local routes and villages. Um, provision of mitigation measures, early occupation, but dependent on phasing, so another million. Um, and then the next one um, is to do with, again, Flitch Way, so 100,000 developer costs. And then we get on to the utilities again, which we won't go through because I think we've, we've been there on that one and presumably the answer's the same as before and the GP surgery and then the social infrastructure so the, again there's lots of unknown costs at the moment in terms of um, that provision um, but some quite significant costs particularly things like swimming pools and that sort of thing. So I think that takes us. No, we obviously won't go on to the existing settlements. There's sort of things we'll need to consider at phase at stage two of the um, hearings. Is there anything else the council want to add that I've not covered and sort of draw out any particular points from that um, from the IDP? No, okay. I've obviously been through it. Um, so, some, sorry, Mr. Just very one, just one brief point. Yeah. Um, uh, to note that a lot of the uh, items where which uh, have unknown against them, such as electricity or gas or, or those kind of things, so these are the normal kind of um, costs that developers uh, plan for and developments have to incorporate in order to. Yeah. That's fine. Okay, so we've been through that, I suppose, fairly quickly, but in, in some detail to try and work out, um, you know, where the unknowns are still, what, what's shifting as time's gone on, that sort of thing. Um, and we'll come on to the viability um, soon as well, because there's obviously an overlap with between viability and and some of this costing and whether the costing's been included in the viability assessment, etc. Does anybody want, Mr. Katowski, does anybody else wants to make any comments? Uh... Yes, just very briefly, Peter, by Mike, Christopher Katkowski, QC for North Uttlesford. It's, it's simply to say this, and, and just to seek some guidance from you. In our hearing statement for today, at appendix number one, we have our commentary on the IDP, because, of course, of course... 
Yes. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Someone's very kindly bound mine in a lovely order, otherwise I'd be in a complete pickle. I can hold it up, but I won't do you any, any good, I don't think, ma'am. But, um, well, because I've, I've got them bound, it's at the back of hearing, the hearing statement for this um, session today, so matter seven. Um, It'll look like that. And it looks like, oh, it looks like that, but the trouble is they all look like that, ma'am, so everything that we've produced <laughs> is that front cover. Um, but it's got today's matter on it, and it's appendix number one to it. Oh, no, appendix number one is, yeah, does it say Grosvenor Infrastructure Delivery Plan Commentary? Great. Well, thank you, ma'am. That's brilliant. <clears throat> so just very briefly indeed, and I'll seek your guidance as to whether you want us to say much, if at all, if anything, about this, but just to draw to your attention that perhaps it, this won't come as any surprise to, to, your, to yourself and others, um, we've obviously, as the promoters of this particular garden community, looked at all the various infrastructure requirements and um, where they're costed fair enough where they're not costed we have taken our own expert advice about the costings of the uncosted items for very obvious reasons because we've got to be satisfied that we can deliver all of this and I won't read this obviously I'm not going to read this out now but if if, if you have an opportunity in due course to at least skim through this you will see that we have taken our own advice about the uncosted items we have our own costings for everything even including the uncosted items and the way we've drawn this together for example if you look at the conclusions on the last page of this appendix penultimate paragraph is we've sought to do a sense check as to whether everything that we would need to deliver by way of contributions or delivery ourselves the known costs and the unknown costs we've actually costed ourselves whether all of that together could be delivered within a per, I hate this wording, per unit, per home sum of money. And we've satisfied ourselves. The reasons that we explain at some length here, um, that there's nothing out of the ordinary here that can't be born within um, a relatively normal cost envelope per home for a, for a, a large development of this nature. Um, now, obviously, the monetary side of this feeds into viability, which we're discussing later on today. But I just wanted to draw to your attention that that work is there. So it's right that in the Council's UD, um, IDP, for understandable reasons, various things aren't costed at this stage. But we haven't, we're not in that position ourselves, because we've had to have a look at the costs of everything in order to satisfy ourselves that we should bother to <laughs> sign ourselves up to, to all of this. So I just wanted to give you that reassurance. The detail is per item, I mean literally every item, item by item, this is on a slightly earlier version of the IDP, but the headings are either the same or very closely similar. Item by item, we've been through everything. So that's that. I mean, I do have um, someone here from Arcadis who are cost consultants, our cost consultants. If you ever wanted to know the cost of anything, he can tell you. But I don't, <laughs> well, I don't suppose you'll particularly want that. But I just want you to understand that, you know, we have had our own expert look at this, and it's all captured in this document that I've just referred you to. So in terms of your universal knowledge, although on one side of the room some costs are unknown, on this side of the room they're not unknown at all. Um, because we've, we've had to look at them and we've had to ensure that we can afford all of this in order to sign ourselves up to the promotion of this garden community. That's the first point. Second point, so I just wanted very briefly, if you'll just give, give, allow us a moment, to, um, to ask Mr Page from 
Peter Brett associates who's sitting to my immediate left, just to say something about the timing of some of these highways infrastructure works, just very briefly indeed, because as you know we're signatories to the Statement of Common Ground for North Uttlesford, on, obviously on highways matters, and there's just a little bit of clarification that I, I think you would find helpful to have. It won't take long. I'll shut up. Thank, Thank you. you. Mr Page. Is Thank it? you. Yes. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, as per the introduction, just a little bit of clarity on when the triggers which are best articulated in the Statement of Common Ground are essentially needed. Um, with regards to Stumps Cross as a, uh, as a junction, which is the closest to the site and provides access to the M11 and A11, no works are required at the junction prior to the occupation of 1,200 units. Beyond that, fairly minor works will deliver 2,700 units. Away from that particular junction at uh, McDonald's roundabout, as it was... 1,200 and then another 2,700, no, cumulatively, cumulatively, right, up, up okay. 2,700 with fairly minor localised works. Yeah. Um, on the McDonald's roundabout, which is the A1301, A505, the white, young, green work for the local plan has indicated that 3,300 units could be accommodated there with a mitigation scheme, which again is, is captured in the IDP. Um, beyond the 3,300, and again as was explained by, by Essex, um, a strategic scheme would be required. But just with regards to the certainty and commitment to that scheme, um, the combined authority, the, the mayoral authority in, in Cambridge, um, have already identified £1 million for the study itself and have also identified a further £100 million um, in their draft business plan for 21-22. So there is a, a growing momentum and, and commitment towards that. That's Cambridge City Council? No, that is Cambridge and Peterborough Combined Authority. Com right, okay. Yeah. Ah, right, oh, yeah. And then just the final point, um, reference was made to Whittlesford Parkway and again the, the commitment to that and um, I believe in, in the later set of, of plans and documentations and consultations they are committing to delivering the works there between 2019 and 2024 which is the current control period. 20... 2019 to 2024 so rail industry works in five year periods. Um, and those would be funded by Greater Cambridge Partnership monies, um, who are obviously beneficiaries of uh, government funding to the tune of 500 million. So, thank you. Thank you. That's helpful. Mr. Noon. Yes, so, yeah, I'm Athol Noon from Arcades on behalf of Great Chesterford Parish Council. Um, if, you, if you'd forgive me just to make a few points over a few minutes, because we think this um, transport infrastructure is very important um, to the consideration of the, of the local plan issues here. So, um, in essence, we don't believe that the roads infrastructure um, requirements have been adequately identified and costed. And there's a number of reasons for that. And, and to give some context, um, uh, Regulation 19 submission, we pointed out that the NUGC is in a very isolated rural location. It's got very poor public transport access and, and highway access relating to one key access point onto the B road at Stumps Cross. And in particular, the stress that places on the A1301 and the A505. While there's been a lot made of proximity to local employment sites, we pointed out that only a very small of local travel is to those employment sites, 
and only a small proportion of total dirty travel is um, to employment. So we don't think that, that actually um, will make a huge difference and that travel will be highly car dominated as a present and sustainable transport use will be low. So give you an example, the bus use at Great Chesterford is probably about 2-3% to for work trips. So we, we believe it's really important to identify at this stage workable deliverable schemes for the, for the highways and public transport um, to make the case for a full 5,000 unit garden village. Not, not to forget that there are also 3,150 odd jobs going in the same location as well. I'll come back to that just now. Um, and we think it's important to remember that if, if you don't um, cater for the future, then this, this, the settlement may not be viable as a sustainable unit. It may be a smaller settlement and all those arguments about mixed use and um, travel will be, will be, will be eaten away. So um, moving on a, a little bit into, the, into that point, we also made the points in our um, assessment on the Regulation 19 that the modelling work done for the settlement is, in our view, quite flawed. Um, there was no base model created. The existing conditions weren't used to test the highway infrastructure needs. And so we think that there's a lot of uncertainty about the actual impacts of NUGC and the rest of the local plan development in this area that was tested. Um, and we think that's quite important because when you come to identify infrastructure, you need to know that you, you're delivering the right thing. So we think that that's a, a key issue. Um, in the IDP, and the most recent IDP, that identifies various um, junction highways elements. They were identified, as you pointed out, as critical. Now they've, they've moved down a scale to necessary. Um, and we think the, the timescale funding and delivery of these is, remains quite uncertain. And I think some of that was brought out by your earlier questioning on the IDP. In, in the only assessment report that was presented on these junctions, White, Young, Green um, only assessed them for 1,400 dwellings, not, not 5,000, and only assessed them for 956 jobs rather than 3,000. So we think those assessments in themselves underestimated the impacts um, on, on these junctions. <coughs> we, there, were, there was some sensitivity tests carried out in the junctions, but once again, we don't think they, kept, they um, used the right number of jobs um, for those assessments. Um, the, th the three junctions they identified as being critical in the previous RDP, you've talked about them very briefly. One was the M11 Junction 10. Um, we note that this is still um, ill-defined in terms of waiting for a study to, to come out. Um, and, and also that the own assessments showed that the queues without mitigation in 2033 could reach as high as 1,400 vehicles on one arm of the junction. So, so we think the A505 and its junctions are quite serious issues to solve. They're not ones to be left um, for a long time before you commit to a major new development um, at this location. We also uh, point out that um, the, the junction improvements um, analysed required third-party land at that location as well, according to the assessment. Um, I won't go into a lot of detail about the A505, A1301 um, um, junction. We've heard a bit about that. Once again, it wasn't tested, we believe, with the right number of jobs at NGC. Um, and the last, the last junction was the A11, the A1301 Stumps Cross. And um, we... Um, 
the, the, the promoter has said that this is adequate up to 2,700 units. We haven't seen the detailed evidence that would satisfy us um, to that. And um, if that's available, very much appreciated, so we could, we could, re we could review that. Um, it's, um, the, the, other, the other item to remember is that when you look at the costings of these junctions, that they exclude a lot of items, such as land acquisition, um, um, contingencies, et cetera, and optimism bias. So we think the costing shown um, for these highway improvements are probably way under the actual cost and could be as much as 50% higher um, as well to take into account. Um, just the last point is about um, sustainable transport, which is question 5B. And um, there, we, there we'd just like to, to state that um, the ambitions behind the sustainable transport of achieving a step change in this location don't seem to be matched by the RDP requirements. And the RDP itself refers to severe challenges due to the strongly rural nature of the area and the fact that even hourly bus services are unlikely to be viable with new development. It refers to two bus service requirements, um, and the latest version talks about a 20-minute frequency service to a few local destinations, employment parks. I think there's reference to a hopper service outside of those hours. And as you yourself heard a few minutes ago, that's subject to a viability appraisal. So there's no real, um, although there's a lot of discussion about bus rapid transit and very high quality uh, public transport services, the reality seems to be a somewhat uncertain, uh, very localised service which only really goes to employment related locations. And we think that's a serious issue for the sustainability of, of the development. Um, it's worth remembering that in policy SP7, um, it, it's quite specific about the requirements uh, for, the, um, for the public transport, and it re refers to high-quality, frequent and fast public transport services to Saffron Walden, Cambridge, Whittlesford Railway Station, Audley End, Great Chesterford Railway Station, and nearby employment parks. And I don't think that's actually what is being proposed in the RDP or anything even, even close to it. And in fact, even at the 20-minute frequency, it is a very similar type of, frequent, of, of provision to what's currently at Great Chesterford. And therefore, the, the public transport mode share is likely to be, to be very low. So, so in essence, from those, those two points, sorry to take up a, a few minutes, but, but that, that's, um, we regard it as important, and we think that there's a lot of uncertainty about the um, delivery of those, those important aspects. Thank you. Apologies about the noise next door. I think there's weddings going on, so it would be a bit miserable to go tell them to be quiet. But um, <laughs> I don't think they were clapping at you, Mr. Nunes. <laughs> um, do you want to I've, come back on some of those well, points? I think we probably need a bit of guidance from you as to how best you want to deal with some of those points, because, in fact, many of Mr. Noon's points were actually matter eight points specific tomorrow, to right. tomorrow, yeah. as opposed to matters that uh, relate really to the IDP itself and I say I mean, we will have to change people and bring extra people in if you want to deal with them now we could do but it slightly messes up the yeah, order as to get how a we sort of crossover isn't it where mm. we where there's things sort of merge into other areas the particular point where I'd quite like um, some information and it probably is best for you to tell me when when whether you've got the right people here today or tomorrow um, there was a it was said that the white young green only tested um, a certain number of houses and jobs which was lower than um, 
previously than what's actually planned um, about costs being um, um, they'll be much higher than probably what's been said um, I think that was the main points I'd got that I particularly would like some clarification if there's other things yeah. you want to uh, well no I mean madam we can bring um, uh, uh, in this is white young green um, and um, this is um, Mr. Gregory, um, who uh, was um, the um, responsible consultant for the transport study. Um, so I think it's it probably rather than deal with, because I know there are, there are a wider range of issues about the transport study that have been raised but in some of the other representations. But if we just deal with those narrower points at this stage, if that's, if that's appropriate. Um, on the first issue then, which was that we tested a lower level of development uh, and haven't tested what's now being put forward as part of the local plan. Um, that's correct. Um, the testing was undertaken at a lower level because you must appreciate that the testing process is an iterative process and it's evolving over time. So the testing that was originally undertaken was for a lower level of development at North Uthelsford. Um We identified improvements to the two junctions in question on the 505 corridor which would deliver mitigation which provided better than nil detriment improvement so essentially it provided more capacity than would be taken up by the level of development <clears throat> that was tested at North Uttlesford Garden Community. Um, a process of extrapolation was then undertaken to identify what additional level of development uh, could be delivered and those junctions still deliver nil detriment level of improvement so that is how the testing has, has unfolded and demonstrated that the improvements that are proposed will actually handle the level of development that is now being proposed for allocation thank you is that work available anywhere for people to see that extrapolation yes. work all, all of this information is available in the technical notes that are appended as part of the transport assessment i think um it was the a505 junction study technical note. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. That's fine. Um, could the council just find that number at some point, just so that, not necessarily now, but by the end of the day, just um, we've got a list here somewhere, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I think Mr. Bedford's doing it. So we'll have a race to see who can find it. <laughs> that to you um, separately I, I think it's I think it's reference 1500.4 I think is the junction analysis uh, no. sorry I'm not familiar with this document it's, uh... What 
think it's worth adding that Cambridgeshire County Council have signed up to a position statement with Ottlesford and they state that they're happy with our evidence base. In their statement, they refer to the uh, one, the uh, A505 uh, study work, and that that would effectively overtake a lot of this work. But in their statement, they make it clear that they're happy with our evidence, as is. I think, sorry, just to add to that point, I mean, part of the reason for actually undertaking that assessment, that stage of assessment, was to address feedback that we'd received from Cambridgeshire and South Cam's Council. So it was to address specific points that they raised about the level of committed development that had been taken into account uh, within South Cambridgeshire District. Um, so the study, as Alan has just mentioned, was undertaken. The, the scope of the work was agreed, it was discussed with Highways England, Cambridge County Council, Essex County Council and Cambridge, uh, South Cam's District Council before the work was undertaken. So the scope and the methodology was discussed and agreed before those assessments were undertaken and the findings were discussed. Um, moving on to the second point which was the issue about the cost estimates for the junction improvements. Um, again I'm sure you can appreciate at this stage of the local plan preparation, the improvements that have been identified are preliminary in nature. So essentially they are 2D designs, i.e. junction footprint layouts, um, which is normal, again, for this stage of a plan preparation. Um, based on those designs, preliminary construction cost estimates have been put together, which do include for optimum bias. Um, however, there are still unknowns because... There could be underground utilities, for instance, that may require diversion, and they will be unknown costs until you get to a much later stage of detailed design and are able to consult with the utilities providers to understand what could be present underground. But the cost estimates that have been produced provide, based on um, experience of producing similar well, estimates for this type of work, uh, and for the similar scale of improvements to this type of junction are the best estimates that we can provide at this point in time with those unknowns being being aware. Um, the, the, the comment was also made re regarding the requirement for third-party land, and I'd just like to add that that's incorrect. The layouts that have been produced are deliverable within the adopted public highway. Thank you, that's helpful. Did you, did you finish it? Okay. Ms. Fiddy. Thank you. Speaking on behalf of um, Stafford and Town Council. Um, the first question really I had was whether it's um, useful for the North Uttlesford Garden community to have a listing about contribution towards highway improvements in Saffron Walden when it refers to development money that's being collected in town. I don't know whether that reference to Saffron Walden is relevant in any way to this infrastructure delivery. Um, also, I'm not really sure if we do have around two or three million pounds in a Section 106 pot to spend. I'm only aware of about, a, well, less than a million. But um, Mr Sprunt from... Um, 
Essex Highways knows me very well and I'll happily send my shopping list, which is, we could probably spend £6 million quite quickly with our wish list in Saffron Walden. So um, that's something perhaps to address. The, um, with reference to the sustainable transport infrastructure in the garden community, We've seen that there's a lot of focus on destinations to the north of the community, but really nothing to the south. Um, I kind of had a look at a, made a bit of a map of it, and um, they all sort of go north, west, northeast uh, to Whittlesford, Duxford, and uh, to Granter Park. And the reference only to, to Saffron Morden is that walking and cycling routes will be put in place. Um, it's about seven and a half miles at a decent pace. That's two and a half hour walk, a five hour round trip. So it's a nice leisure walk, but not really commutable. So um, sustainable transport um, will be, should be more focused on buses. Um, there is not loads in the local plan about buses between Saffron Morden and North Uttersford Garden Community other than the City 7, which already takes an hour and a half to Cambridge from Saffron Walden, so um, perhaps some speedier bus routes. But today does mark the day, 50 years ago today, that a rocket launched for the moon. So I should think putting on a few extra bus services should be quite feasible. Um, Noted um, 8.17 community centres. That's a really lovely, generous um, allocation. We've got one for a population of about 16,500 people in Saffron Warden. Uh, 5,000 houses might be expected to generate 12,000 people, so 8.17 compared to one is really, really good. Uh, We're struggling to get contributions for them in Saffron Warden. The green spaces, um, there's a lot, there was quite a lot on the list. Uh, I think it probably adds up to the 40% that the Town and Country Planning Association says is good practice for garden communities. And Saffron Morden, I'm drawing it up for the neighbourhood plan, but I'd be surprised if we had more than 10 to 15% green space. Um, and then finally, I'm not qualified to answer the question, but you did say how much does it cost to build a health centre? I expect that the NHS has underquoted a little bit because um, they have a policy of asking for not very much. We had a, um, a housing development in Saffron Morden recently which had 150 houses and the county asked for 1.6 million pounds for education and the NHS asked for 98,000 pounds. Sorry, 1.6 million for education and 98,000 pounds for healthcare. So I think the NHS just maybe that is what they said it costs. <laughs> they don't ask for much. So um, Obviously, those are the points relevant to Saffron Walden within that um, infrastructure delivery document. That's helpful. Do you want to come back on any of those points about um, bus services between Saffron Walden? I think particularly it might be useful, and whether there's consideration been given to that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Mr. Sprunt can comment on that, but again, that's really more a matter of. Yes, yes, we are. I'm happy just to, to mention with regard to bus services, obviously Saffron Morland is going to be an important local retail, but not so much for, for jobs generation in, in the area. It's more seen as uh, the new development pointing much more towards the Cambridge area rather than, than southwards. And access to jobs southwards is likely, much more likely via the M11 down towards Stansted and other, other major growth centres. Okay. So we'll maybe come back to that again tomorrow. Can I just say that, yeah, it's, it's coming up to half past three and we've still got viability to do and a couple of other 
big questions. So if you can limit very much your, your points to the IDP and, and try not to steer into transport as a wider topic, which will come up tomorrow. Okay. Ms. Martin. Thank you. Yes. Um, Janet Martin, Sawston Parish Council. Uh, we're a village um, quite close to the A11, 505, A1307 and the M11, so we're acutely conscious of all the traffic pressures we have at, at the moment, and therefore we'd, we would agree with the, the speaker for Great Chesterford about the need for um, adequate identification and costing of the um, uh, infrastructure requirements and, and just to um, summarise quickly the infrastructure requirements that we have around our village at the moment just you know to, to put a bit of context in in there there's a number of big developments going on to the northeast. We we have um, the distribution centre at Dales Manor and the new housing development sites H1B and H1C which will both be exiting through Baberham Village onto the A1307 uh, to the south, we've got the redevelopment of the Unity campuses. Yeah, I think we're getting on to highway matters now. Well, it's, it's to do with pressure and, and numbers. Of, and we'll talk uh, about that tomorrow. I'm, I'm conscious of just sticking to the infrastructure delivery plan because of the time that we've got this afternoon. Okay, well, just to add something else about the um, Whittlesford issue then and the, um, the site master plan and the uh, feasibility study on the A505, obviously we welcome those. But I think residents of, of the villages would like to see what the timescales for those are and also what the costings will be and how they're going to be funded for when the improvements are actually made and the impact of Attlesford adequately assessed. Yeah. Does my colleague say something Sorry. more about that? Yes, I think I uh, might be able to help a bit on the uh, timescales need for needed to bring forward major highway projects. Uh, I think probably Camborne and the A428 is probably the, probably the best analogy that, uh, that, that we have. Uh, outline permission was given for the Camborne development in 1992. It was granted in 1996, and the 428 extension was opened in, in, in May uh, 2007. So we're looking at between uh, between 10 and 15 years, rather than between five and 10 years. And uh, it could be argued that the 428 is still only half done because the full run through to Caxton, which would be the analogy with the full four, full 505 completion, is yet to happen. This current is, is out of consultation this year. So likely by 2004, so, uh, so, so sorry, t uh, 2024, so on that basis, 30 years from start to finish. So that's, uh, uh, I'd also like to make a, a comment about education, so I think one of the, one of our concerns was in Sawston is the, uh, is, is a relatively late stage at which it's proposed to bring in the secondary school, uh, the, um, uh, and again, if, excuse me if I go back to Camborne, because uh, uh, Stephen Platt, who did a study on lessons at Camborne in 2005, pointed out that one of the um, one, of, one of the mistakes, if you like, with Camborne was bringing second was, was having secondary school late. Uh, there are issues around community cohesion, and also the fact that there's a, there's, there's, there's a lot of the S106 money which had otherwise been available for Camborne was spent on a, 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 a neighbouring. Um, uh, a neighbouring village college in order to accommodate those pupils. And uh, 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 although, um, although Essex County Council has responded, I, I would suspect that quite a large pressure would fall on Cambridgeshire for um, uh, education. Uh, the, uh, 
uh, the nearest village college secondary school uh, in distance is actually Sawston Village College and, uh, and uh, Linton not far behind and already a significant number of Linton pupils come from Uttlesford. So it is not just an Essex problem, it is a cross-border one and if, the edu- if, if a secondary school is not provided early I think Cambridgeshire should be looking for Essex money from this development. Mr. Bamba. Thank you, Thank you Madam. Um, Bruce Bamber of Railton TPC Limited, um, acting on behalf of Great Dunmo Town Council. Um, I'm here uh, because Mr. Johnston, um, their normal highways consultant, is unable to be here. I believe he's on a beach somewhere at the moment. So uh, um, essentially, I, I have some points uh, on viability um, on, on highways, uh, but also on the BRT. Um, viability, we're on IDP at the moment. We're coming on to viability later on. We haven't got to that point. That's point. I, I, th- I think all these points relate to the IDP. Um, okay, they're all fine. sections that are either not there or are there right. and need to be commented upon. So I, I hope this will, I mean, it might cover something that will be covered as well later, but I, I think uh, it's not um, irrelevant. Um, uh, in, in terms of. Um, Highways improvements associated with uh, Great Eastern. Uh, Mr. Johnston um, pointed out that um, the uh, the modelling work that's been undertaken shows the A120 and the B1256 to be operating over capacity uh, uh, towards the end of the plan period. Um, now, uh, he also um, offers some criticisms of the, of the way that the modelling has been undertaken, um, but essentially the point. Um, to be made is that um, there has been no uh, offer of any contribution towards dealing with those capacity constraints either on the A120 or on the B1256 on that section between Great Eastern and Great Dunmo. Um, and there are no um, allocations within the IDP at the moment to deal with those issues. Um, and they are not just capacity issues. Uh, Mr. Johnston points out, and Highways England uh, have also recognised this, there are safety issues on the A120 as well because of the substandard nature of the slip roads, and that would be exacerbated as uh, traffic levels go, go up on those. Um, coming on then to the, the BRT, if I can call it the BRT. Um, it's important because uh, in 2008, the Council described the Great Eastern site as uh, a unique area with very poor transport links. Um, Now, the Council, in its uh, January 2019 position statement, um, describes the BRT as necessary but not critical, and I think that is reflected uh, in the IDP. Now, Critical infrastructure, as defined by the Council, is infrastructure required at the beginning of development. Um, I believe that um, the BRT is critical and not necessary because, first of all, um, it is an area with very poor transport links. Um, And by the Council's own admission, uh, it's necessary to achieve a step change in travel behaviour And this requires the BRT to be available very early in scheme development. Now, in the IDP, it's um, identified as coming forward between 
2028 and 2033. So there is this question mark as to whether this will actually lead to the step change that is required. Now, um, thinking about uh, viability in particular, um, I've gone through the figures that have been presented in the June the 21st document uh, prepared by Jacobs, um, which sets out viability uh, assessments for the scheme. When I go through the figures, I find that there are quite large deficits between uh, the revenue expected and the operating and maintenance costs of the scheme. Now, Jacobs uh, accepts that subsidy will be required between 2024 and 2028, and also in later periods um, before patronage increases to support the higher uh, frequencies of service that are anticipated. But Jacobs also accepts that the patronage from the garden communities themselves will not cover the costs, the running costs of this scheme. Viability is dependent on the use of the scheme by those travelling to and from other destinations. Therefore, the delivery, um, well, the viability only stacks up uh, if there is uh, the delivery of sections of the BRT that go east of Great Dunmo, i.e. associated with the West of Braintree uh, garden community. If the West of Braintree uh, garden community doesn't happen, the BRT is not viable. Now, the question for uh, the examination is, is whether it is sound for what I believe is critical infrastructure to be dependent on an uncertain development. Now, there's a couple of other reasons why I believe the predictions of viability are uh, currently rather optimistic. Um, the, uh, uh, the modelling work, as a starting point, assumes that um, the uh, public transport mode share for Great Eastern is 9%. Now, if you built a house, or 10 houses, on the site of Great Eastern at the moment, the uh, public transport mode share would not be 9% because there are no public transport services serving those essentially empty fields. So um, th the question is whether by taking um, a baseline level of public transport use that doesn't reflect what is there at the moment, uh, are we being overly optimistic in deriving future levels of public transport patronage um, uh, that are associated with the the increase in public transport accessibility related to the BRT. Um, the viability, um, in, in whatever case you're looking at it, is very sensitive to those assumptions about percentage public transport use. And at the moment, the starting point, I believe, is, is too optimistic. Now, the, uh, Jacob, uh, another point that Jacobs raises is that for the BRT to be successful, to operate uh, as a high-frequency, reliable service, there will have to be a shift um, of road space from general traffic towards sustainable modes in Great Dunmo and Braintree. And uh, it, it's accepted that that will be, uh, their word is, challenging. Now, um, if it is found that uh, that additional priority for buses cannot be achieved, then those assumptions that have been applied to the BRT start to fall down. 
and the patronage uh, predictions also start to fall down. Um, this is uh, an important point and one that should not be overlooked uh, when um, considering how successful or how viable this might be. A very simple point that um, I notice no one has picked up is that uh, when you look at the two BRT bus stops within Great Eastern, um, less than quite a, a lot less than half the development lies within 400 metres of those bus stops. Now, most of the development, therefore, doesn't meet Essex standards for proximity to bus stops. Most of the, that development is not well served by the BRT. Now, the final point. Um, when the, the, the council's undertaken a, an assessment of the of the BRT scheme uh, that's reported in the, I think it's the January this year, 2019 um, position statement, um, where it looks at those um, uh, criteria that would be used in the, uh, the business case that would be put forward, um, which are, um, if I can find it, Um, sorry, I, I did make a note of this. Well, they are well economic, financial, managerial, um, and there's two other aspects. Um, and the BRT is shown to have the green uh, categorisation for all of those business case uh, criteria. Now, Looking at the work that has been undertaken, I think it's questionable, first of all, that it is possible to um, categorise um, the scheme to be green in all those respects. Can I just stop you? We're getting into detailed highways evidence here, which is not what we're discussing okay. this afternoon. Uh, I'm conscious that we've got a lot to get through this afternoon and we've got that to deal with tomorrow. Okay, so. no, I, I accept that. And um, that was the last point in any case. So I will stop there if that's uh, okay. If that's okay. Thank you. I'll ask the council to come back on that and then we'll have a short break and then come back. Oh, Madam, I'll have to change personnel because that, that was uh, effectively um, a series of points really about the Jacobs report. Uh, and we can deal with it now, but it really is all matters for tomorrow. Um, it will probably take a few minutes to do that. I mean, I'm quite happy to deal with it, but uh, I just seek your guidance as to whether that's actually the appropriate way to deal with that. Are you coming back tomorrow, Mr. Um, I, I have great difficulties coming back tomorrow. I, I, I right, quite and hence why you're today, trying to get your points I, I, was, I was quite desperate to get... Um, I, I don't know whether... Um, what we'll do is we'll have a break for ten minutes, and in that time you can swap your people around a bit. And then I'm really stressed that we must just stick with IDP points and anything else must wait until tomorrow, because otherwise we're going to be here very late tonight. Um, we've got all the viability still to deal with another point, so please try and stick. And if it's something that's already been said, then can you, yeah, leave it. Leave it. Okay, so we'll break until five two four, and then we'll come back. Okay.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Okay, so we're still on the um, IDP and obviously sticking very closely to the matters about the IDP and leaving all of the matters to tomorrow. So um, I'll start at the front and work my way around and I think we'll restrict it now to just one comment per person and not kind of coming back and forth between people. Um, do you want to um, well, Madam, come back I, on those points first? Yes, I thought it might be, might be helpful. Uh, I was going to... Um, deal with there are two separate strands to that the first which was I think Mr Bamber's initial point was about the modeling work in relation to the A120 uh, being over capacity and so on that's a, a white young green point uh, <laughs> as it were so if I bring Mr Gregory in to deal with that but then separately Mr Bamber went on to make a number of points about BRT and the Jacobs report, and that's obviously a Jacobs uh, matter. And for that purpose, I was going to bring in um, Mr. Whittles, who now sits, as you can see, where uh, Mr. Gillam was sitting, uh, and Mr. Whittles is there. So um, if I can deal with those two first. So um, perhaps we can ask um, Mr. Gregory first to comment on the point about the A120 modelling, uh, what it shows and what the implications are uh, of that. Yes, um, the, the transport study work has identified that the, the A120 works within capacity at the minute, so in the base year, as in now, it works fine. Um, when you forecast forward to the end of the local plan period and take into account committed development, so this is 
the development identified through the uncertainty log process. So development in adjacent districts and committed development within the district. When you factor that traffic into account onto the A120, then sections of the A120 are shown to reach uh, link capacity. Um, now what that means when a link is at capacity, it doesn't mean that that link will just stop working and traffic won't get through. It means that essentially traffic will slow down during the peaks. So we just need to be clear that this is a peak period issue, that outside of the peaks, the traffic will be much lower and the, the, the network will continue to operate within capacity. But during the morning and evening peak hours, rather than traffic being able to freely flow through at 60, 70 miles an hour, that traffic speed will reduce because of the volume of traffic on the links. So you might expect the traffic flow to reduce to 40, 45 miles an hour, for instance. Um, so the approach that's been agreed with Highways England, who are responsible for the A120 to the east of the M11, um, is that a monitor and manage approach will essentially be adopted. Um, now, obviously... If you add local plan development traffic on top of that situation, it does make the situation slightly worse. Um, but the, the key driver for that is the committed development. So that situation will exist with or without the local plan growth. Um, Highways England's response and approach is that they would only see physical improvement works as an absolute last resort. And they would... Essentially, it's all due to the lack of certainty at this stage about whether the committed development will actually occur in practice. So to be designing physical improvement works now based on forecast figures at the end of the plan period, you could be designing massively expensive works for, work, for traffic conditions that may never materialise. Um, so Highways England's approach is to essentially monitor that situation and devise solutions if those, if, if those conditions do materialise over time. But you know, we're talking end of plan period and beyond sort of timescales. It's not something that's um, going to happen tomorrow. Um, I think the point was also raised about the likelihood or possibility of local safety schemes being required, and there was a mention of perhaps modification to slip roads at junctions. Um, I think the point to note here is that the... the study that's been produced in support of the local plan is essentially the start of the transport assessment process. It's not the end of the process. We don't dot all the I's and cross all the T's now. Um, the purpose of the transport study for the local plan is to demonstrate that the strategic infrastructure and transport terms has been identified um, and that the plan is sound on that basis. Um, there will obviously be more detailed work to be undertaken um, either as part of development plan documents or at the plan application stage um, and again this will be over a course of time so as the garden communities are built out the developers will be required to assess at specific stages of development um, what their traffic impacts are and will be required to mitigate those impacts and that could be work such as local safety schemes it could be local junction improvements capacity issues or it could be modifications to slip roads to upgrade um, merged diverged facilities at great separated junctions for instance so these are this is the next level of detail they're not strategic issues um, that we would feel the need to identify at this stage to demonstrate that the plan is sound thank you that's helpful and then 
then moving separately then um, over to Mr Whittles and the issues in relation to the BRT and there were a number of points about as it were um, should it be seen as uh, critical infrastructure rather than merely as necessary infrastructure um, there were queries about the viability um, and the patronage uh, levels and the assumptions and then a query about uh, the mode share assumed in the base and then there's a final point about the distance from bus stops, I think. And so ho hopefully I'll get them all. Um, so f first of all, um, thank you, Mr. Lambert, for your, your initial comments recognising the importance of BRT, because I think it is important, and I think it is uh, admirable what um, the authorities are trying to do with BRT and get that step change. Um, the first thing about sort of um, the, the, the critical question, I would add um, that what we're trying to do in the report is incrementally deliver this. We recognise that it's really important to get that initial service for those initial homes there, which is why we explain what we're doing with a more limited service in 24 to 28. Then in 29 to 33, we are incrementally extending it, uh, building infrastructure where it is feasible, Hence, we're making sure that it's viable and deliverable. And then, in the longer term, as more homes are built, we build out more infrastructure. And that's, that's that incremental deliver, delivery is really important, but that does not mean we're, not, we're, not, we're waiting to, to, to set the service, because I think it is important uh, that for those first homes that are moving in, that they do have a, a, a good uh, public transport alternative. Um, on the question um, of viability, um, the report um, describes, uh, sets out likely numbers using uh, BRT uh, from the garden communities. But then because it is a BRT service linking existing settlements as well, in which there is growth, there is employment, be it at Stansted, be it at Braintree, it is going to be attractive to other passengers as well. While, so the report recognises this, and as would be expected, in 2033, when you have less development at the two garden, the big garden communities, west of Braintree and Eastern Park, which the BRT cuts through, there will be less trips there, so you rely more heavily on existing settlements or, 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 or new developments in Braintree um, and Stansted. As the garden communities grow, it becomes less reliant on those additional trips. So, so obviously, uh, as Mr. Bamber recognised, post-2033, it, it becomes more and more uh, viable just on garden community trips. The other point, though, that I think was a misunderstanding um, was we are not... Uh, dependent on attracting trips between, for example, Great Dunmo and Wester Braintree, that middle section. The largest number of trips is going to be between um, either Eastern Park and, um, and Stansted or between, um, between Wester Braintree and Braintree. Um, so, um, and, and, you know, we do in the report breakdown break it down by, by sections. And we have investigated in lots of other ways. Um, 
there is a comment around a, a reliance on on this um, this baseline. Um, what the word was used baseline. It was about census information. Um, there was um, a figure that was given in one of the reports. I think it was a supplementary uh, note that was published last week, um, or rather, it may be published at uh, the start of this week, um, where we'd mentioned of um, public transport use from the journey the census journey to work data. That was purely provided just as a sort of a, a sense check. Um, in terms of the types of uh, patronage show, shown in the model. The model doesn't try and replicate the census data. It tries to match um, the people using public transport to what we see in uh, the public transport data that we collect. But, the other, but I think the, the important point is that what we're trying to do in the model, no model is perfect. You're trying to get a sort of close representation to reality. But the key point of the model is when we put in a new public transport route or change the frequency or the journey time of public transport, public transport becomes a little bit more attractive relative to car and we pick up that incremental change. And that's really what we're trying to do in the, in the model. So, it's, so, so I, I think it's... A, um, it, it's it, I, I think it's... A, a not... not uh, I, I don't think I don't think the sort of the set, what's happening in the census is is is, is relevant. Um, the other really important point I thought that was made was around integrated transport systems and the distance to public transport stops. I think I think it is critical, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm through, you know glad it was mentioned as a sort of a, a point that came out of the report because it. It is not a question of simply putting on a BRT service, building a bit of segregated infrastructure. It is about making sure we design the place of the garden communities well. We, we know um, from studies uh, recently that where um, new, well, new communities are built, and they are built from the perspective of the car driver, you don't get a sort of a big up, up, uh, uptake in public transport. We know if we can design it the other way, we can uh, see, see, uh, see, see that uptake. And I think, so, so I think that, that, that is, that, that's critical, but it comes down to the design of the place. The other, the other point is, when you have traditionally modelled um, a traditional bus service, you have often, we have often looked at a sort of a catchment area that may be 400 metres either side of a bus stop, or 500 metres, depending on which part of the country you're in. There is evidence, um, for example, that's been used in Birmingham where they've been designing Sprint, that, that if you can have integration with good quality walking and cycling routes, the, um, the distance that people will, will travel to get to that stop can increase dramatically. And I think that's, that comes back to the point around um, the, 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 the design of place. I may not have covered everything, but I hope that that's the key points. Thank you. Mr. Dodsley. Uh, two quick points. Uh, policy SP6 on page 44 of the local plan states that the vehicular access to Eastern Park will be via a dual carriageway loop arrangement from the A120. 
The original infrastructure delivery plan um, stated that it's considered that access into Eastern Park from the A120 is achievable and that existing junctions have sufficient capacity to cater for this. So there was nothing in the original infrastructure delivery plan about um, an improved junction for Eastern Park. The topic paper that was produced after submission of the local plan introduced a new deliverable, which I'm guessing is this west of Dunmo improvement. That wasn't in the original infrastructure delivery plan. That's, that's a concern because um, one of the selection reasons for Eastern Park to go ahead was that there weren't any junction improvements needed, and now we seem to have a deliverable in the infrastructure delivery plan that um, there is a new junction required, and it's about a 20 to 25 million pound cost. So I'd appreciate some clarif clarification on that. Um, my second point is the Troy Planning 2017 report stated that the single access point for Eastern Park was a risk to scheme delivery and that two access points would be required. I haven't got the infrastructure, the latest infrastructure delivery plan in front of me, but I didn't hear you call out a second access point for Eastern Park. So um, I'd just be appreciate some clarification on that one as well. Does anybody want to comment on that so um, about the junctions and about the number of accesses required first of all on the junction i mean ever since we've been discussing this site at the anywhere near the full build out we've always uh, identified as have the developers the need for a junction improvement i think it's within this plan period uh, we said there wouldn't need to be a junction improvement because there's enough spare capacity uh, on the current layout to to take the traffic that's that's proposed within the local plan um, I think with regard to the second access, rather like was, was said on the A120, we, we're sort of doing a manage and monitor uh, process on the dual carriageway access. There is a secondary access that's required as part of the uh, sustainable transport onto Woodside Way, which we said might need to be opened up if, uh, to all traffic if there were to be issues with the single point of access. So that's where the secondary reaccess comes in, is we, we're, we're making sure that the sustainable access, which goes onto Woodside Way, is able to cater for all traffic, should that be required in the future. Thank you. Um, we referred in our hearing statement to the North Essex Examination Inspector highlighting that major road improvements to the A120 and A12 were essential in order to deliver the West of Braintree and were unfunded. That still is the case today. Um, the funding decisions are still awaited. Um, my other point really was to what was said at the other end of the table about at the A120 capacity. Certainly at the Braintree end, my understanding is that the junctions are already at or above capacity. Thank you. Yeah, I think, again, we're steering into highway matters. Um, do you want to comment on that since it's been raised? Yeah, I, I haven't had too much to do, deal with the bit to the west, but one, one of the mitigating factors that's, that's been agreed now is, is funded through uh, a government package called HIF is the what's called as the Millennium Slips, which are slip roads to the west of the Gaddies Corner Junction, which will take off traffic uh, into Braintree and also uh, into the uh, uh, retail 
park there. So there, there are some improvements which are currently uh, being planned, which is certainly in the short term will relieve the, the Gallis Corner Junction. Obviously, longer term, the A120, as has been said, hasn't got a funding allocation. It is something that's once again going into the uh, Highways England uh, RIS programme as a scheme. It's been jointly uh, worked on between Highways England and Essex County Council. Um, so it is, it is a, a scheme that's, that's on the radar for them to, to deliver in the future, but again, without any secured date uh, due to the way that works. Thank you. Madam, I don't want to take up time with this, but I've just got a feeling that some of that new material that has come in from Braintree provides a bit of an update on where they are with progressing uh, their uh, proposals. I'll have a read of that. No, yeah. Yeah. I, on the infrastructure delivery plan, not wider matters. Okay. Um, yes, Karen Reckliffe for Great Sailing. Yes, carrying on with that comment, Braintree is still coming out with new information all the time. The HIFA bid is really subject to how far they go ahead with that um, evidence. Um, but my point was really about water. You didn't mention it on the west of Braintree when you're going through your comments. No, I think we skipped through it because it's the same <laughs> comment as on the previous um, ones. Yes. But what I did want to say is I know Anglia Water's comments are interesting as well as the fact that UDC uh, water cycle study is reliant on the Braintree and Bocking water recycle centres. So therefore I would direct you um, both to look at the Braintree water cycle study um, to see how the significant reinforcement of water cycle centre network is needed. And also I'd ask you to look at the North Essex Garden Community Integrated Water Management Strategy Stage 1 report, which is August 2015, 17 rather, about the need for supersized sewage works. And also in this whole uh, complex understanding of, um, you know, sewage, waste, dispersal, environmental, all of that, um, very much take on board local community infrastructure experts to guide us through understanding it. And, and its sustainability with NPPF and all that. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Shrimpling. Uh, thank you. Um, just, it's an overarching point on uh, the IDP. Uh, it, it, it's reflected by the queries we've raised in our hearing statement, some of the points that you were going through earlier, which is that, to our mind, there is a, a lack of detail about what's being provided, when it's being provided, and what it's going to cost. Uh, and that means a lack of certainty about what is actually going to happen here, and that is of fundamental importance to the plan-making process. Um, with the greatest respect to what the, the information that the promoters have produced, it is for the council to provide the evidence to you upon which this plan should be based uh, and uh, uh, to ensure that it's found sound and that that infrastructure will be delivered. Uh, and the approach that's been taken to in the IDP is thrown into sharp contrast by what has been provided to and demanded by the inspectors for the North East Essex authorities' uh, plan. If you look at the, we've summarised uh, those requirements in Appendix 1 of our Matter 5 hearing statement. If you look at what the inspectors have demanded there in terms of um, drilling down into the detail of what is being provided and the costs and when who's providing it, what is in the IDP is not a patch on that level of detail. And that is of fundamental importance to creating sustainable garden communities, uh, thrown into sharp, uh, sharp focus by the climate uh, crisis that, that, that is um, in the news at the moment. And it's important, it's, this certainty is all about the plan, their process. It's absolutely vital to know this now so that it, it, it's, um, 
it, you can ensure delivery, even if these things may not happen for some time, or if there is some uncertainty on funding, that there is certainty what will be delivered and when, so that um, that will ensure a, a sound plan and sustainable communities. Thank you. Thank you. Mr Gadd. Thank you. It was just a quick point on the um, sustainable transport links provided in the IDP that we've heard they've been costed um, and the IDP provides that there will be high quality walking and cycle facilities to adjacent communities but there are no um, routes within them and Uttlesford Council has got an appalling record on delivering sustainable transport routes so I think we'd like to see the IDP at least indicating where the routes are going to be to make sure that they are achievable. Do you want to comment on that, Mr Sprunt? I can, very, very briefly. Obviously, with, with the sustainable transport, um, that is actually a corridor that doesn't just relate solely to buses. I mean, I know we call it bus rapid transit, but it is also linked in with, with walking and cycling routes as well. Uh, we do have a, uh, a cycling uh, study that covered the whole of the Uttlesford area, which shows links and uh, uh, junctions and issues um, in there, which would be covered and picked up um, to provide a, a more integrated network as part of uh, the local plan. Do you want to come back up? Just very briefly. So it's just that the cycle strategy that um, Mr Sprunt referred to um, didn't cost routes and a lot of them suggested might be undeliverable, so we just like certainty on them. Thank you. Do you want to say anything else? No? Yes, did you want to repeat? Sorry, yes. Sorry, it's just that the, if we're referring to the same Uttlesford cycling strategy that was produced last year, most of the routes in there um, were not necessarily deliverable, and certainly all the ones we've tried to get in Saffron Wood and have proved to be undeliverable um, by Essex. So we just like comfort of the routes that support these um, will actually be deliverable and we will be firmly set out. Obviously, we'll be working very closely both, both with Uttlesford and developers to make sure that all the, the, the routes that we, we identify will be deliverable and be delivered, obviously, by, as part of the developers' requirements. Mr. Bam, oh, do you... Hello, yes, it was about the... Uh, the just a quick response on the water question. Um, simple matter of fact. The... Ottersford Water Cycle Study is a full level two. North Essex is level one. As far as the Environment Agency are concerned, it's our document that applies and all that's in it as up and everything that applies to West of Braintree until something else replaces that. But that's the current position and what the, inspe what the Environment Agency would draw the inspectors to have regard to. Mr. Bampton. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to reiterate and add to an earlier point about the importance of having uh, sustainable transport methods available from day one. Um, and the reason I'd like to reiterate this is that I, in a past life, I was involved in the monitoring of travel plans on large-scale developments in less sustainable locations. And uh, what this information tended to show that was if you have sustainable transport methods available from day one, people will use them. Um, if they are not there on day one, they will make alternative uh, 
you know, resources to travel, such as the purchase of a car, etc. And once they've committed to car use, it's almost impossible to make this change. Um, and as a, the council seems to rely on the sustainability of the garden communities not being car dependent as the reason for justifying them over other alternatives that if they aren't delivering these things up front then they aren't able to justify their reason for having them thank you mr bird yeah good afternoon uh, david bird's um transport advisor to land securities on eastern park um just wanted to pick up on a sort of few things that have uh, been mentioned this afternoon i know you don't want to stray into transport i think probably need to respond to a couple of things mr bamber said while he's here um Starting with, with the BRT, just reinforcing uh, what Mr. Sprunt said. And, and if you look, um, one point that I think just went by the wayside when we're looking at the IDP, if you look on page 35, item 1, um, you raised a question um, about um, that there wasn't a cost uh, in there. Um, um, in fact, if we look across, um, it says could be included in initial phase of BRT. As Mr. Sprunt identified, the basic walking and cycling link to Stansted Airport uh, will run alongside the BRT, and the cost is fully included um, in that BRT. Basically, it's just a corridor, uh, a road plus a walking and cycling route, so that cost is fully included in that. Um, I think the actual question Mr. Bamber was raising on viability, I'm not sure it has been entirely answered, um, was... Is uh, the route, the BRT route, viable if you don't have the link to West of Braintree? And, and that's an important question. Um, it's so important that we actually uh, commissioned some additional work uh, from uh, Jacobs uh, with the agreement from Uttlesford and Essex. Uh, I apologise that's not before the inquiry. It's with Essex and we're just trying to get it in an agreed form to submit. Uh, what that demonstrates using exactly the same methodology is that that link... Uh, just from Great Dunmo via Eastern Park to Stansted is entirely viable on its own account. So if the route didn't go east of, west, east of Great Dunmo, um, one doesn't need to be concerned on that count, and hopefully that'll be with you uh, tomorrow. Um, on the question of subsidy, uh, of course, like virtually any bus service, um, it'll require subsidy in the early days. But if you look on page... Um, Uh, 34, item 1 of the IDP, uh, you'll see in there um, an item just to clarify where it says services, £4.1 million. Pounds. Uh, that is the uh, level of subsidy uh, that's been calculated as necessary uh, during the, the early part of, of the I'm development. Sorry, page 34. Page you 34, on the item 1. Unless your page is slightly different from mine, I've got page 34, item 1, sustainable travel bus. And then it says services, £4.1 million. Pounds. Is it 33? I do apologise. Mine's coming up with 34. In which case, your, my reference to 35 may well have been uh, 30, 34. <laughs> um, so where it says sustainable travel bus, um, services, £4.1 million. Pounds. Did you have that? Yes, so, so that is the very subsidy um, that we've been talking about. Um, 
Thirdly, uh, the other point raised by Mr. Bamber, which again I'm not sure has been quite properly addressed, is um, well, what about the the 400 metre bus distance? Uh, two points on that. One, I think, which Mr. Whittles did make, um, that you'll walk further to a good quality of service. Um, for example, in London, um, the the distance that you people are factored in to walk to something like a rail link is 960 metres. Uh, so if you know you've got a 10-minute frequency uh, rapid bus um, route, you'll probably walk that distance. In fact, I'm sure you'll walk that distance to it. However, one of the great advantages of bus rapid transit as opposed to fixed links is that those buses, of course, can divert off that route and go around the housing estate to pick up people and then go back onto the fast route. And there'll be a mix of services. Some will be direct from Stansted to Great Dunmo. Some will go into the housing area and pick up people just like uh, a normal sort of bus service. Um, so I hope uh, that addresses the, um, the BRT point. Just the final point I wanted to make, um, by clarifying the point on the, um, the sort of walking and cycling cost being within the BRT cost, um, I think that basically takes off all the unknowns in terms of Eastern Park. And just to be absolutely clear in relation to the IDP, East, um, land securities will fully fund 100% the cost of the BRT route from Stansted to Great Dunmo. There is agreement in principle with Stansted Airport, Manchester Airport Group, to provide that link into the airport. And therefore, one will have that direct BRT route at no cost to the public or any other exchequer. This access, just to clarify the access point, again picking up an earlier comment that was made, the access improvements to the A120 will be fully funded by land securities. There's no cost to any other party in providing full access through to 10,000 units. And this is a very simple site, Eastern Park. Uh, we have direct access to the A120. We have a sustainable transport corridor fully funded to the largest employer in the area, Stansted Airport, and to the local service centre, Great Dumbo. Thank you. Mr. Roberts. Thank you. Jamie Roberts on behalf of Endurance Estates Land Promotion Limited. Um, just to pick up on, on two discrete and fairly short points arising from, from our discussions this afternoon. Um, if you recall earlier this afternoon, we went through the uh, IDP in some detail and a number of costs were identified as unknown. Um, we'd like to flag that there are within the IDP a number of other costs which are identified but actually include quite significant variances. Um, for example, on the very first page um, in relation to highways upgrades, there are, are two items, fairly big ticket items, one at five to nine million, one at five to ten. It's quite a, quite a sizable um, divergence between the costs. Um, it, it, at its highest end, it could cost double double its lowest. Um, another example, if, if we look at page 15, there's the Hoblong Roundabout, um, and, and that's got a cost of between 2 million and 10 million, again, a, a significant difference. So that potentially indicates that the further work is needed to, to really understand what, what the realistic likely cost of this is going to be, because it, at, at the moment, there's a big difference here and it, it doesn't give the, the greatest amount of confidence in, in terms of um, whether we can rely on that figure. 
The second point I just wanted to add was um, in relation to cross-boundary proposals over at, uh, at North Uttlesford in particular. Um, there are a number of upgrades, um, both in terms of highways and sustainable transport, which are reliant upon um, delivery across the border in Cambridgeshire. And the, the IDP at, at present, it, it doesn't reflect the fact that there are a number of different authorities in Cambridgeshire, um, each with with different funding streams, priorities. Um, in particular, although you've got Cambridgeshire County Council as the highway authority, there's also the combined authority, which is, is taking the lead on some of the road improvements. Um, equally, there's the Greater Cambridge Partnership, which is, is driving forward the, the public transport enhancements. However, these are all different authorities. Um, they don't... Um, they don't fall within the, uh, the jurisdiction of, of Uttlesford, as it were, nor Essex County Council. So some of these upgrades are reliant upon, upon these varying authorities, which there isn't necessarily the control over um, in, in terms of securing delivery. I'll just check whether the council want to come back on it. Do you want to come back on any of those points? About? I, th I think all that really in relation to that main last point that Mr uh, Roberts is pointing out is that local government in Britain is as local government is in Britain. Uh, I mean, clearly the county council and the district council are used to uh, engaging with their uh, uh, other um, authority partners. Uh, clearly there has been a lot of work on the duty to cooperate. I don't want to go back into that, no. but uh, uh, if there were problems, they would have been flushed out, and, and there aren't. Okay, thank you. Ms. Hutt. Thank you, Mon. Just to state that we reserve our position in relation to the new material, because a lot of this is relevant here. Yes. Um, but in your question six is, is there evidence that infrastructure requirements will be delivered in the necessary timescales? Um, that begs the question, well, what is it that needs to be known uh, or shown to be deliverable at this time? And we know that the allocations are very heavily based upon the build-out of 5,000 houses at least, uh, provision of infrastructure, sustainable infrastructure, um, and also their particular location near roads. We also know that the transport assessment has been done on the basis of an extraordinarily ambitious mode share, uh, which is directly linked to this issue of infrastructure delivery. And what that does is that makes all of the... Yes. Um, yeah, my, what that does is that makes the, the provision of all necessary infrastructure critical uh, to the soundness of this plan, even if a particular item doesn't need to come forward on day one. Um, the particular items of soundness I rely on are the positive, uh, positively prepared effectiveness and um, consistency with uh, national policy. The particular concerns of the council with uh, regards, sorry, parish council, particular concerns with regards to the, the A505 um, and the rail capacity. Now, it seems that the, the, the position of the council is, well, the, the position is bad anyway, so it'll probably get solved later. Um, we say that that's simply not good enough, given uh, the very reason why, in particular, North Uttlesford was, um, was allocated. We're also particularly concerned about this... Um, new information that some of the bus links are now said to be well subject to viability 
again, given uh, the reasons why North Ulsterman was chosen, that, that's simply not good enough. And so it's our position that those key aspects, at least those key aspects, have not been adequately shown to be deliverable uh, within the necessary timescales. But as I say, we'll, we'll respond more fully in writing. Mr. Belton. Thank you, Mum. Um, I shall keep this brief, but um, I just wanted to refer you, if I may, to page 21 of the Infrastructure Delivery Plan, if I can. Um, the first column of which, um, this is in relation to Western Braintree, but it's probably equally applicable to Eastern Park, but the first column refers to the sustainable transport, rapid transit, and it's the initial phases of rapid transit. Now, a number of my comments have been dealt with by others, so I shall just comment on the additional points. But if you look in the column on the far right-hand side, it talks about the planned year of delivery, which you've touched on earlier, and that says that the early delivery of a regular bus service on existing roads... Then below that it says the first BRT infrastructure will be delivered between 28 and 33. Now, ma'am, if you were to cast, back, cast your eye back to the infrastructure delivery plan of February 2019, which is document ED28, there is the same row in that document, but in the far right-hand column, which talks about planned year of delivery, the text simply says early delivery. And I think the reason why the Council have updated that is that it follows on from the publication of document ED13 in June of this year, which is the Bus Rapid Trans Transit for Uttersford Supplementary Technical Study. And that was prepared by Essex County Council. And what this document seeks to do is to add a little bit of meat to the bones as to how the Bus Rapid Transit is to be delivered. Um, now, it states um, to be classed a BRT service, and this is in section 3.2 if you wanted to refer to it, that a BRT service has to operate with a frequency of at least eight buses per hour. It then goes on to talk about what the approach is going to be in Uttlesford, and in table 3.2 it suggests that by 2028 there will be four buses per hour running. And that will then, as we've just heard, be incrementally increased. And by the end of the plan period, there will be six buses per hour running. So what that document is saying is that by the end of this plan period, we still won't have a BRT system. It will be a frequent bus service. And as both that document and the County Council's position statement from January 19 says, is that a BRT system is, has to be fundamentally different to a, bus, a good and frequent bus service. Now, what is the significance of this? Well, the significance is that there are worrying parallels with what has happened in North Essex. And as you will remember, the North Essex inspector grappled with this very issue of how do you ensure significant modal shift on sites that are effectively in the open countryside today. And he said to achieve these levels of modal shift, you need to have certainty that they're going to be delivered early in the plan period. Now, in response to the inspector's criticisms, the Braintree um, Council has issued a raft of new documents. And one of those documents is, the, is document ED47, um, I believe. Let me just check. I've scrolled down. ED47C, which is one of the documents that landed in your inbox last night. And that is titled Rapid Transport System for North Essex from Vision to Plan. And what I'd like to refer you to in that document is section 1.2. And in response to the inspector's criticisms, that is committed to delivering a rapid transport system, BRT system, from the very outset of the development of garden communities 
not an incremental build-up, which is what they originally proposed and which the inspector took issue with, but delivery of a BRT system from day one. And I think Uttlesford here are falling into the same trap that North Essex did initially. Uh, I don't think the commitments in the infrastructure delivery plan are robust enough. The, the BRT system should be accelerated. The cost assumptions to do that should be upgraded. Um, and to pick up the point from earlier, should this be an important infrastructure or a critical one, to my mind, is unquestionably a critical infrastructure improvement. Because if, we, if the whole basis of allocating garden communities is because they give a better opportunity to foster sustainable forms of transport, if the very essence of delivering that sustainable form of transport is reliant on a BRT system being in place from day one, uh, then failure to do that goes right to the heart of the soundness of the whole strategy. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to come back on any of those points? I'll probably bring Mr Whittle back uh, just to talk about uh, the um, nature of the uh, bus improvements which are proposed uh, in relation to um, well, no, well, so I think the criticism was particularly what's proposed here at West of Braintree and the level of service compared to North Essex. Um, yes, so I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot in um, the, uh, the the the, la the last comment, and there's sort of many points. So again, I don't know if I'm going to sort of be able to address um, them all. I mean, if I can sort of uh, just take upon this um, this uh, one of the first points around uh, what constitutes a BRT service. Sometimes, you know, we get asked, well, when does a sort of a regular bus service become a, a, a BRT service? There's no hard and fast answer. It is to do with frequency. It's to do with speed. Um, the BRT UK, I believe, does sort of give us an indication that it's around, um, you know, eight, 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 eight buses an hour. But it could, it, could, it could be less than that. So I think it's, it's not... Um, what we felt and we said in the report was, well, when you're when you're at four buses an hour we wouldn't really sort of call that a brt but once we were getting into the 28 33 period and the frequency we were planning with segregated routes and uh, uh, sorry the uh, the speed we were planning with segregated routes and the frequency we were getting we were, we were at some somewhere where you you would have a brt level of service and i think that we provided a table where we did actually give some other examples of the frequency um, that they were achieving. Um, so I think that, but I think that's quite a, you know, a bit of a semantic point. Um, I think, th I think th the more interesting um, point is what infrastructure is needed immediately to to to, to deliver that um, that mode shift from the very beginning. Um, ag ag again, you know we. We've had to. We have had to sort of had have an eye on the financial 
viability or feasibility of this and this is and it, i think it comes down to putting in sufficient infrastructure that we can actually have something that looks feels decidedly different to a regular bus service but we also recognize there's going to pick up you know going to, there's going to provide a a different better public transport alternative for people moving in there but we do recognize that as the communities grow as more money becomes available more investment will be required over a long a longer period in many respects i would love to say yes you know here's 200 million let's just try and put in all the infrastructure but we're not in that world so therefore uh, you know we 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 came up with the approach we did okay so that would that require funding in the longer term from the public <coughs> purse or would it be from the developer or we um the if for example um uh, uh, you know we ap applied and uh, over the course of the period for uh, housing infrastructure fund uh, money that has been applied for in uh, colchester for example i see that as accelerating um the infrastructure um it's not um but 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 there again, you know, you you know, with any sort of funding bid, you may get it, you may not get it. And what we have here, and what we're trying to do here, is come up with a robust strategy for delivering a meaningful BRT system that works in different um, possible futures. Um, so I think I think that's yeah, and that was what I was driving at really that it's not reliant on funding that might not be available in that time or you know it's really competitive to get that funding and it's, it doesn't become, it doesn't come to you that's that it wouldn't be reliant on that totally yeah um very much and in many respects and it's interesting to sort of um draw the experience to uh, north essex and what's what's hap um, what 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 we learned from the experience you know a year or so ago that we, that we are trying to recognize you know that that we 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 would want something that um uh, is aspirational yes is visionary yes but is 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 practical and and, and financially deliverable It's Bruce Bamboo again. Um, point of clarification on the IDP. Um, page 33 at the moment is identifying 10.1 to 14.6 million pounds. Uh, following on from what Mr. Bird said, um, the question is, should that be 25.5 million pounds or 17.7 million to 25.5 million pounds um, because Mr. Bird said, um, clarified that it's the section between Stansted Airport and Great Dunmo, which, looking at the uh, June uh, report from Jacobs, um, the total cost of that is not the 10.1 to 14.6, but the 17.7 to 25.5. Is that sorry? Is that clear? The question. Yes. Yeah. So it's. 
And the other point, I suppose, is that it says on there delivery by developer, and I think the point was made that that would be funded by um, land securities, wasn't it? Yeah, if, if I can clarify, uh, Mr. Bamber is correct. Those, those are the correct figures, 17 to 25, um, and that will be fully funded by land securities, and it's included in our cost plans. Thank you. I think has everybody spoken then now that wants to speak on that? Okay. Do the council want to say anything else in terms of the IDP? Um, I'll just put this back together in the right order. So I think it's just worth pointing out that um, the point that was made about the North Essex scheme uh, funding uh, the whole of the STC um, early on is, is not actually the case as far as we understand it. It's going to be done on the same uh, progressive way that um, is being proposed across Uttlesford. The, the, the BRT across North um, uh, Essex is going to be funded in the same manner as being proposed uh, in this part of the BRT. Right, okay. So the next point on the agenda is, and, and we've probably covered quite a lot, of this, is there evidence that the ta infrastructure requirements will be delivered within the necessary timescales? Is there anything anybody wants to add on that? No? Okay. I didn't have any questions on that. I think we've probably covered it. Um, seven, should policies SP5, SP6, SP7 and SP8 make more specific requirements as regards the provision and timing of the infrastructure needs for the proposed garden communities um, obviously in light of the fact that at least two of them now are going to be, I think it's 23, 24 isn't it? Um, does anybody have any points? There's obviously I've got some written comments on some of these points Anything in particular wants to make on those? No? Okay. Did the council want to comment on that at all? Or? No? Okay. Um, and that takes us to the um, viability. So has the economic viability of each of the proposed garden communities been adequately demonstrated in the Uttlesford Economic Viability Study 2018? I'm just conscious that uh, some people are coming and going. If, do you want a few minutes so that people can leave if they want to, if people are not interested? Is there anybody not wanting to take part in viability? I'd be grateful just a couple of minutes because I think we want to change some of our right, personnel. So fine. just a couple so we'll, of minutes. Yeah, we'll just have five or ten minutes. And if people want to leave, if they're not interested in this particular section, that's fine. We won't be offended. <laughs>
Okay, if everybody can take their seats again, and then we can uh, carry on. You've had a long day, Miss Easton, waiting for your slot. <laughs> no, me neither. No. Okay, do the council want to make any introductory comments in terms of viability? Or? I can just introduce the study very briefly. Yeah, that's, that's probably helpful. helpful. Just and the other point I was going to ask about, and it might be worth just covering it to save time, is um, whether in light, because the IDP, the infrastructure delivery plan we've just been talking about, has had various iterations of that, whether the viability assessment really needs updating sure. to take yeah. account of that. There's, that was it's probably over a year old now, isn't it? And there's been various changes in terms of that and costing updates and things. So thank you. Um, I suppose just to introduce the viability study really which was completed a year ago um, prepared um, with mind to PPG um, fee 2014 um, paragraph 4 that it's evidence based it's been collaborative and, and consistent in approach um, and also paragraph 6 in that we've looked at specific sites um, and paragraph 8 that we've used current costs and values rather than speculation. Um, we've consulted with the development industry um, along the way. Um, the other thing to say is we've used a residual value approach, um, which you're probably familiar with, but it's the value of the development minus all the costs leaves a residual land value which is available to pay for the land. Um, it's been informed by quite a lot of market research. It's been informed by the IDP, um, by other published sources, um, and by interviews and meetings with council officers, with developers, and with other people <coughs> with a knowledge of the local market, um, and also with a sort of degree of sensitivity analysis along the way. Um, I suppose the conclusion is that um, using all the best available evidence that we we've had at the time um, that the garden community sites are viable and they are deliverable from a viability point of view. Um, mentioning the IDP updates, um, there's been some, there have been some changes along the way and there's some changes again today that were discussed. Um, but all within the parameters of the amount that we've tested, um, we, we had to make quite a few estimates a year ago, some of those have been filled in as, as it's gone through and, and is within the parameters. Um, and there's, there's nothing at the moment that gives any cause for alarm that, that we haven't estimated enough where we've estimated um, or that any of the figures that we've used um, need to be revised. There have been the odd item removed and the odd item increased. Um, to be honest, if anything, we've, 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 we're slightly overestimated using the costs that have been presented in the IDP today.
And those those blank, you know, there's quite a lot as we went through of blank yeah. costs at the moment, unknowns. You, you're happy that those can you factored in is sufficient to allow for those sorts of yes, I mean, sort of the open space and you know, yes, yes, and and we have used comparables. We've looked at other large sites in the country. Um, Obviously, we've looked at some of the work that's been done for the North Essex, some of the North Essex sites, but also um, we've recently done quite a lot of work at Cranbrook, um, and we've used other large strategic sites okay. to, to look at sort of timing and amounts. And when you when you deal with individual sites, so these yeah. sort of GAN community sites, clearly some are different to others. So we, when we went to have a look yesterday, some uh, the topography, for example, on one is very different. There was mention earlier about. Um, what lies below the surface, if you like, in terms of different materials that mm. make development more expensive. Is that factored in, or is that you, you sort of take an average? Um, there, there's an average. We ha I will say we haven't taken topography into account because I think if, if a land is particularly difficult, for instance, if it's sloped um, or, or needed piling, then they're the sorts of costs that you'd expect to be factored into the land value rather than added as additional costs on, okay. on, onto development. Thank you. Does anybody got any comments particularly they want to make? I can't, I can't see any. Mr... Hegan, Good afternoon. Uh, Tom Hegan, Turner Morham, LLP, uh, acting for Endurance Estates on Viability Matters. <clears throat> uh, it may have been noted that as part of Endurance's or Pegasus Planning's uh, hearing statement, some viability analysis was included uh, that I produced. That's it. Um, Having carried out my analysis, I think there's essentially five issues which require some further consideration. Uh, they can be summarised as the market revenues, uh, the standard construction costs and the associated allowances for plot externals, opening up costs, I think they're referred to, uh, contingency. Uh, we've then got the infrastructure allowances and the, versus the IDP schedule. And we have the benchmark land value um, against which viability is considered. So starting with each of those in turn, and I'll try and be as quick as I can. <clears throat> um, the market revenue, so at paragraph 2.19 of the Three Dragons um, viability uh, submission, essentially what they uh, identify there is that they've run, they've taken a, market revenue figure um, based on localised evidence and then what they've done is they've run a scenario at 95% of that value to reflect the scale of the scheme and essentially what that is is an allowance for market saturation so on these volume sites you get uh, in, in accordance with the council's uh, trajectory 250 maximum completions per annum and that would suggest five house builders all selling at the same time when the scheme's at capacity and in those situations it becomes a bit of a bloodbath between the respective house builders because they're, they're all trying to achieve their one sale a week and there's competition and they're dropping prices in order to achieve those sales rates and so that 
5% adjustment there is what that represents, and I think that's quite a conservative adjustment, is, is my honest view. The second point at power 2.17 is that it's identified that these revenues are based on land registry prices paid. And the, the key issue there is that land registry sales figures are generally gross prices. What they don't do is net off sales incentives that have been uh, awarded essentially by the house builders who are selling, so white goods, stamp duty paid, etc. They don't net those off the land registry figures. And so what you need for the purposes of an accurate viability assessment is to establish the net prices. And therefore, within my evidence, you'll see that I've suggested that a further 2.5% reduction should be made to the land registry figures to reflect uh, true net prices. Uh, and that point was one that was accepted previously at an inquiry that I worked on. I've got the appeal reference if it's, if it's of interest. And the 2.5% figure was accepted in that case. Would you like the appeal reference? A plan inquiry or a, a no, it was a plan, inquiry. it was a public inquiry. I'm not sure I particularly need fine. it unless you really want no, me to read fine. it. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's just, just contextual. Fine. Um, so, my overarching view is that the revenues adopted in the assessment are um, too full uh, and that they should be netted back by at least another 2.5%, which may not sound a lot, but on a scheme where you've got over 5 million square feet, it has quite a considerable impact. Uh, the next point I'd like to consider is the standard construction costs. <clears throat> uh, and it's clear from the Three Dragons assessment what the, what's been adopted is lower quartile BCIS. And on top of the, the base BCIS costs, what they've applied is, I think it's £17,000 a dwelling uh, for... Um, <clears throat> plot external, so that's uh, plot roads, plot services, plot infrastructure. Um, and then on top of that, again, they've uh, then applied us 17,700 a square foot, uh, uh, per unit, I should say, um, to allow for opening up costs. So that's essentially strategic infrastructure. Correct. And then the 17,700 for um, on-site infrastructure, essentially. And those figures are identified on page 39 at the bottom of... Um, it's number 52 right at the bottom of the page there. <clears throat> and then additionally, there's either 40 or 50 grand a unit for off-site infrastructure and 106. And th through sort of working backwards, if you then look at the uh, Three Dragons appraisal, I, and I focus primarily on the 5,000-unit North Uttersford scheme, you can, you can work it back to establish essentially what these costs equate to for benchmarking purposes. So in, in the um, Three Dragons appraisal, um, I think it's Appendix 6, I've got it as page 225, I believe. Um, of, of, their, of their submission. Uh, it's on there, uh, you, there's some standard construction costs, build costs, it's referenced as £548.9 million. Pounds. I'm going to run through some numbers now, so apologies if it's... I'm throwing, throwing, 
225 it was, yeah. So it's Appendix 6. It's one of, one of the appraisals towards the back. It is GC1, 95% market value. It's the first appraisal in the garden settlement section. I've got 95%. Okay, so sort of midway down, there's a cost, build cost, 584.9 million. And that cost is essentially uh, the um, standard construction costs. And it includes uh, an allowance for plot externals as well. And if, if you work that back to a rate per square foot, taking the square footage that the three dragons were modelled. It's £111 a square foot. And I should also add, I believe that costs intended to also include four garages. And that's a blended rate, which is intended to represent both houses and flats. So, in, in my view, that's... A, incredibly low standard construction cost figure. Um, if you were to net off the garages, you'd be back to probably £105 a foot. And then if you were to net off plot externals, you're probably looking at £90 a square foot. And it's also worth bearing in mind that the Three Dragons haven't included any contingency whatsoever in that allowance. So you're talking about a volume site being delivered at comparatively below £90 a square foot as a base bill cost based on lower quartile BCIS. And in my view, I do a lot of strategic land valuation for a lot of PLC house builders. And I can tell you there's hardly any that can build anywhere close to that sort of level. And to suggest that a volume site should be delivered consistently at that level is just wholly unrealistic in my view. I think it's highly unusual to find any flattered schemes that get delivered for less than 140 to 150 pounds a square foot. And so there's, there's something just not right with those sort of bill cost allowances. And it impacts throughout the appraisal, including the finance cost calculations, technical fees which reply consistently you know, to these bill cost figures. So it sort of compounds as you go on. <clears throat> If we then turn to the allowances for on-site infrastructure, which I think are referred to as opening, opening up costs or something, something like that. Uh, included at £17,500 a unit. Again, what you can do, if you multiply that £17,500 a unit by the number of units in this scenario, which is 5,000, it gets to 88.5 million for the whole 5,000 unit scheme. And then if you divide that on a rate per net acre basis, you've got 353 net acres in this scenario. 53? 
That gives you an on-site infrastructure allowance of £251,000 an acre. And again, that feels way too low. I'd normally expect that to be about £400,000 a net acre. That's generally a sort of benchmark allowance that a lot of PLC house builders would use on this sort of strategic site, in my experience. So again, that's, that's a key issue. So there's about 150 grand a net acre, which is about 53 million of costs which could reasonably be justified in benchmark terms plus associated finance contingency etc <clears throat> we then turn to the uh, off-site works and the point I made in my submission is that Essentially what the Three Dragons have done is adopted 40k a unit for the purposes of their analysis and then they've run a further sensitivity appraisal at 50k a unit. And then for comparison they've got their IDP cost schedule which has a lot of blanks in it as we've already discussed today. And the latest one that came out I think it was last week we took the midpoint position and I was advised that it came to about 150 million of costs. You got 200 million in the appraisal. So essentially what they're saying is that there's a 50 million pound sort of buffer embedded within their per unit approach and, that, and those costs would need to be met. That all of the missing items in that IDP cost schedule would need to be met by, by sort of around 40 to 50 million. Uh, and I'm not a QS, but there's some pretty big ticket items in there. I know um, I heard from Mr. Katkowski earlier that they've looked at the site-specific assessment. They feel that it can be covered. But we took some initial high-level advice and we advised that it looked unlikely. <clears throat> um, and then finally, uh, coming to the main, the main issue that I have with the Three Dragons analysis, and that's in relation to the finance cost calculation. And again, if I can draw your attention to the same appraisal that we looked at a minute ago, you'll see sort of on the left-hand side, uh, probably 10 lines from the bottom, is a finance cost figure of £10.3 million. And for me, that just can't be right. You know, it can't be anywhere near the sort of level that we'll be looking at on a scheme of this magnitude, where you've got total development costs, which is, two, I think... Two costs down, 1.26 billion, I think that is. Um, and to demonstrate why I think that's a, such a low, or how it's such a low number, within my submission, I carried out a cash flow appraisal that essentially replicated the Three Dragons model. It adopted their standard construction cost inputs, uh, sorry, it adopted their mix my assumed revenues, which were slightly lower, what I considered to be standard construction costs, which were £131 a square foot rather than their £111. Um, it adopted their plot externals, uh, their infrastructure costs, and I came to costs of £193 million. Finance costs of £193 million. And that may feel like an, an enormous amount, and it, and, it, and it is a huge amount, but in my experience, finance is probably the key issue in delivering these schemes and particularly peak debt. Um, 
Um, and what I thought was quite interesting was I saw the council's um, examination hearing statement and one of the questions that was put to the council in advance was <clears throat> are appropriate assumptions made about the timing of land purchases? And the response was um, essentially it's not relevant. Um, and, I, and I was a bit baffled by that response to be honest and it it suggested to me that the cost of the land may not even feature in the Three Dragons appraisal. Um, and so, so the general viability hypothesis is that a landowner gets paid a considerable amount of the overall land value up front. But you know, sometimes what you find on volume sites is there's an element of deferral, so they may get paid the overall amount over, say, five years or they'll get pay, paid in a phased basis. So they'll get at least, say, 40% down in year one, and then you know, another 20%. And, and that's the approach I reflected in my calculation, is a phased payment of the land cost. But what that does is means that from day one, the, the developer has a significant land cost out. They've got quite a considerable amount of infrastructure costs. And th those costs are compounding. And so when you then factor in on top of that the artificially low standard construction costs, uh, um, it, it has a significant impact on, on the finance costs that, that drop out. And I think this is my fi final point on infrastructure. What I thought was quite telling was uh, the second scenario, um, the one below the one that I've just identified um, for you there, is is another is the second sensitivity appraisal that the Three Dragons have produced, where in this one they've increased the infrastructure cost from 40,000 to 50,000k a unit. Um, let me just say, it's uh, GC1, 90, it's a sense, yeah, 95% market value sensitivity, sensitivity test applied. So the, the, only, the only change in terms of inputs within that assessment is that the... Um, <clears throat> Exceptional development costs have gone up from 321 to 371,000 pounds, about midway down. And what's particularly interesting in that appraisal is that the finance costs have, as a result of that 50 million pound increase in abnormals, have gone from 10.3 million to 18.4. So that's you know, almost doubled when you've just increased the abnormals by 50, 50 million pounds. And I think what that demonstrates is if you were then to introduce a land cost up front, it's going to have enormous ramifications on the outturn finance costs uh, within the model. And, and what's really key, I suppose, is that the Three Dragons haven't supplied any cash flow information within their submission, um, which means that I haven't been able to get under the skin of them but frankly, £10 million worth of finance costs on a scheme of this magnitude, or even 18, just can't be correct. And supported by the council's response about the, the, um, the land cost phasing, I thought indicated that there was something fundamentally wrong with the finance cost uh, uh, assessment. <clears throat> and then just the final point I was going to add in terms of the benchmark land value level, um, essentially there's a range provided um, of... Uh, 250 to 370 grand a hectare, uh, gross hectare that is. And what I would say is that I feel 
um, there's a relationship generally between um, what's an appropriate return for a landowner and the market revenues that are prevailing in any location. And I think in a location where you've got average market revenues of 360 to £380 a square foot, the, the upper end of that identified range would be uh, appropriate. Um, but 100 grand a gross acre or 250 grand a hectare would not be enough in my view. Thank you. Do you want to come back on all of that? Thank you. I'll, I'll go through point by point, but um, tell, tell me if I've, I've missed anything, because there were quite a few points in there. Um, I think really just, just overall, we've carried out the viability assessment in a way that's um, very standard for local plan viability and including um, local plans that include large strategic sites. So we haven't deviated for, from, a, from a normal way. Um, I think... Taking the first point about values, um, we used 95% of open market value for, our, for all sales. Um, to be honest, this has also been challenged as we were putting the assessment together the other way in that we shouldn't be discounting at all, that we should be adding value because a garden community would be a pleasant place to live and therefore the houses would transact at above normal levels. But... We have, we, again, we have done some comparisons, um, particularly just recently to, to Cranbrook, but also to, to some other areas. Um, quite a long list of strategic sites, and 95% was, was about right. Um, we also tested at 100% um, at the request of... Um, some of the consultees along the way, but I think 95%, I, I feel fairly confident from, from the research that we've done that 95% is about right. Um, also, we've used land registry from, to derive our sales figures, as is very common practice across local plans. I think, I don't think... I can think of any that if you looked at the viability assessment, there'd be a further deduction for the fact that land registry includes, or could sometimes, some dwellings include white goods or other incentives. Um, I think the other thing about um, using land registry data is um, it being a, it's the, I, I mean, it's the best source um, of a large amount of, of house sales that, that there is. I can't think of a better source. Um, and there's also the possibility to benchmark um, resales so you, you don't have to just... So you would look at new build sales, but also you can benchmark against existing sales and, and look at the factor and the extra um, premium that there might be and there isn't in all areas, but there, that there might be for um, for new build sales. I, I think it's it's the most reliable source there is, um, and also we've compared it to the EPC certificates. Um, 
I, th I think the difficulty with um, land registry is it, it doesn't um, necessarily give you size of dwelling. So we have the facility to, to download EPC um, certificates and compare them with the sales on land registry so that we can get a, a per square metre basis. Um, so I think netting off another 2.5% from that is an, is, would be a very unusual approach. Um, as I say, not something I've come across before. That's values. Um, building costs. Um, we've used low, lower quartile to take into account... So, sorry, I don't... Start to launch into um, jargon. So, the, the build cost index... Um, gives several indexes and, and you have to make a judgment about the one to use. Um, with smaller sites, um, I wouldn't use a... And, I've, and so there will be an upper quartile, a median or a mean, and a lower quartile figure in, in BCIS. Um, on a smaller site, you'd take the median or the mean. Um, on a site of this size, I think lower quartile and the fact that it's going to be volume builders in the main that are developing out the sites and the economies of scale that would be created. Um, it, I, I think it, it is, is the right index of the indexes to pick. Um, I do have a report um, that I could share if, if you think it's necessary, which, which is some work that we actually did with BCIS looking at um, which indexes to use for which size of sites um, and, and we did we have adjusted build costs on the basis of that particular report the other thing to say is um, the figure includes um, in external works as well that um, uh, Mr Hegarty or um, Hegan um, picked out it doesn't include garages we have added garages on in separately um, we've also added additionally to those build costs um, an additional um, cost to take account of the higher accessibility requirements that Uttlesford District Council require and that's a separate and additional to, to the build costs um, to meet the Part M standards. Um, and if, if you look at our um, report... Um, I think page 95, page 95 of our report, you will see um, the per square metre build costs, which I think is easier to deal with than per square foot. Um, you'll see that um, it is where, where we've modelled flats, the build cost is, is quite considerably inflated. Um, and, and in fact, we haven't used lower quartile for flats because we didn't think it was appropriate, but just for houses. Um, and you'll see how much we've used for, you know, the, the amount we've used for garages as well. Um, and then, so the external works that's included within that is is the works around the plot. And then we've in, included an, an additional 17,500 to open up the site, the, the sort of the infrastructure and connecting to the services and that to, to bring the site into use. Um, 17,500 is, is quite high and a, a normal, 
although of course there's no such thing as a normal site, but um, it, it, it's it's considerably above the amount that you'd model, even for a large site of say a thousand homes, where you may perhaps have ten thousand less um, a unit. Um, so I don't think our build costs, I, I, I really don't think our build costs are too low. Um, and I think we've reflected the variety um, that, that there is in our developments. Um, in infrastructure, um, I think I'm going to the next point now. Um, as, as I just said in my opening remarks, really, um, we've covered all the items in the infrastructure delivery plan where, where, and that includes not just the amounts but the timing um, which would account for the fact that adding ad additional strategic infrastructure would have been um, an upfront cost and would have um, increased the the finance costs by, by putting it by putting another um, 10,000 a unit in um, I, I you know um, I've, I've checked through, you know, as, as we were talking again this morning, um, and and all these costs, I'm, I'm confident that they're in our study and, and that they're included in, in the amounts. I mean, we're talking, um, well, I'm looking at Eastern Park here, sort of hundreds of millions um, of, of infrastructure costs across the site in the case of North Usselsford. Um, So a, um, a, about two from a, I'm quickly looking at, at about 200 million um, just for the items in the IDP. That's not in, that's not including the amounts in the opening up costs. Finance costs um, again. Um, Mr. Higgins used used. Um, a method that I, I wouldn't normally use or wouldn't normally see in, in, a, in, the, in a, this kind of a study for a local plan um, to look at deliverability of sites. And, and really, the, I think the crux of it is that the reason his finance costs are much higher than ours is, is for exactly the reason that he's said that um, he's factored in the land value um, from the beginning. Um, so using our residual value approach, the amount that's produced at the end is the amount that's available to purchase the land um, and to cover the costs of purchasing that land. Um, and it's unusual to factor the cost in from the beginning because really in the course of development in the main, um, the land's going to be paid for. It, the developer's not going to pay, and, and, unless there's an exceptional reason, isn't going to pay for the land at the beginning of the course of development. They're going to pay for it. Throughout the course of the development, there'll be option agreements, um, and, and they're not going to purchase the land in a way that prejudices their development or puts their um, finance costs up to the sorts of rates um, that, that, were, that were presented earlier. Um, and so I think the model of land purchase is very different um, from that. And also, 
just a final point in relation to it, really, if you look at the results, I take the North Uttlesford site, if you look at the amount of headroom in, in the results in, the, um, in, in our study, that there, there's a lot of room in there to pay for extra land finance anyway. But, but I, I really don't think that... I, I, would, you know, I wouldn't be cash-flowing land in that way um, in, in this sort of study. Um, and uh, find sorry, benchmark land values. I've, I missed that one off. Um, to be at the upper end, I, I don't think so. And, and again, we did consult quite widely. Um, I, th I think there were, um, and, and you'll see from the other um, viability assessments that have been submitted that, that most have considered that the lower end of it is about right, but. Um, you know, even taking that higher end of it, we, we've really shown that in the main, um, the, the sites are deliverable. Bless you. I think that's covered them all. Thank you. That's Thank you. really helpful. Did you want to come back on any of those? A couple of quick points, if I may. I think sort of in order of importance, um, firstly, regarding the, um, that, the land cost issue. Um, is it, is it Miss Easton? Sorry. Easton. Yes, sorry, yes. So I think what Miss Easton's essentially suggesting is that whatever's left over at the end of the scheme is, is the landowner's return. Um, uh, but I can't imagine many landowners are going to be too attracted to the prospects of a volume strategic site that's going to take 20, 25 years and they only get paid at the end because that's what's left over. I mean, if you look at any standard option agreement, they've got contractual minimum prices within them. Same for promotion agreements. The landowners have to pay up front to secure the land at a minimum price. And that's essentially what the benchmark land value is. It's, it's reflective of a contractual minimum price relationship between a developer and a landowner. And that's an upfront cost to the scheme. On any strategic site, you go through the process of securing satisfactory planning permission. Then the, land, the developer buys the land off the site, not necessarily in one go, but certainly a large chunk of it and then the development proceeds. So the land cost has to be probably the key inf upfront infrastructure cost, uh, upfront cost to the developer in order to see the scheme proceed. I can't think of any, uh, any circumstances in which a landowner would be allowing a developer their site for free only to be getting their land value at the end of the development when they've got no security. I mean, if the, if the market plummeted, for example, after the scheme had started and, and the value of the land bombed, they could be left with no return whatsoever, having given away a site that may have been in their family for generations. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a fundamental issue, but to a larger extent, it explains why the finance costs in the Three Dragons analysis are so far below what I would usually expect. The other, the other quick point I'd make is in terms of the infrastructure profiling. And I think um, there's been some changes to um, 
some of the costs in the IDP, some have moved from critical to important, and as a result, I think they've moved from uh, almost costs that were required before development can commence to maybe required before development commence. And I would expect that to have an impact on scheme viability, and I think a bit more information is required on that. And then just the final point is in reference to the economies of scale um, uh, point that um, Miss Easton made. And I, I, honestly, I've, I've come across this argument before, but I've never quite understood it, to be perfectly honest, because house builders um, generally, whether it's on small sites or large sites, are looking at maintaining their sales rate, as I said earlier, of one a week. And so they're building 50, 52 a year. Um, and so... That's, that's, how the, that's how they manage their jobs. They don't get more economies of scale on large sites than they will get on small sites. They tackle them in pretty much the same way, and that's how they, that's how they deal with their materials and their labour and their workforce. It's on a site-by-site -site basis. So on that, on that basis, if median average BCIS costs are appropriate for... A small scale and medium scale schemes are appropriate on large scale schemes as well. Sorry, uh, fi final issue, I promise. And that's just in relation to uh, the viability um, of uh, the early stages of the development. And you'll see within my submission, one of the things I've considered is the viability as a whole over the entire project duration, but then also looking at the viability of the development over the first 1,000 units or so. And for me, that's a really key issue when assessing viability, is it, it, the key point really is peak debt. And, and you'll see in my analysis that I've shown that the peak debt um, early on uh, in the over the first 1,000 units based on some of the assumptions um, that have been reflected um, within the Three Dragons analysis and then my sensitivity analysis, is over £200 million on this scheme. And so, realistically, when you're looking at a developer approaching this site and they're, asked, um, they're asking themselves, do we really want to expose ourselves to that level of peak debt and the, and the risk that, that entails and the market economy and the risk that the market's going to tank and we're going to be left with that level of cost exposure? Um, or do we want to just go and deliver some service land on, on another site where we don't take any of that risk and we don't put our margin on the line and we can just turn up and build houses? Uh, and, and frankly, schemes with that level of peak debt simply won't be delivered. And I think that's a really fundamental issue on schemes of this magnitude. And it's why they've got such problems being delivered generally is because of the upfront cost. And that's just not something that's reflected in the Three Dragons analysis or their conclusions uh, thus far. Thank you. Do you want to come back on any of those points? Just, just, just to come back... Um, Quick, quickly on those points. The economy of scale point really is it's not just about building up volume, it's about purchasing power and um, you know, the influence on, on, on suppliers and labour. Um, also, just sort of the BCIS index is sort of populated um, a large amount of the information that's collected within the sample size comes from smaller developments and comes from RPs in particular. 
Um, and when, when you start to separate it out and look at and take those smaller sites out and look at delivery on larger sites, then actually you find that the costs come, you know, do, do come right down. Um, I, as I say, I do have a report and I would be happy to share it. We are we're just updating our website at the moment and we were going to put it on the website because I feel that it's something that, that is going to become more current um, as, as more sort of, got, you know, just across the country as more garden communities are, bit, are, are built out. Um, I mean, I guess the issue about peak peak debt is that if, as, as a developer, you'd work with um, the council and the landowner and, and, and the infrastructure providers to, to manage the debt. You'd, you'd not just leave it. Um, and also that the return that you'd be getting as a developer along the way um, would, would is there to mitigate some of that risk as, as the development sort of rolls out um, and again really just to come back to the bit about um, land finance and when you put the land cost into the cash flow um, I, I don't mean you would put all the land cost in at the end um, but that you would buy the land strategically in a way that um, optimised and maximised your um, return at, at, as, as you went as, as you go through the course of development um, but but not to purchase the lot at the beginning. Do uh, I'm conscious that we've got the promoters of various sites here. Does anybody want to add anything, Mr. Katowski? Obviously, it's Three Dragons report, but um, from the perspective of the promoters of North Uttlesfield, we have got Mr. Fort sitting to my left here, who's um, our viability expert, if you like, and I, I know that he's I mean, almost literally itching to say something about peak <laughs> debt. Um, now, at 20 to 6, I might just have to caution you to sort of not get too carried away on the subject, but perhaps just a few moments on peak debt, if you don't mind, because of the various points made by uh, Mr. Hegan, I mean, he did, I think, sort of put, characterise this as a real showstopper, if you like, so, and that's been making us very jumpy to want to say something in response. So I just asked Mr. Fort to say something in response in relation to peak debt from the perspective of the people who are actually going to be doing this. That's right. I think that's useful to hear that's that. That's the point, because you know, we're, we're yes. going to be doing this if, if we get our allocation confirmed. Thank you, ma'am. Um, I would just point out one thing as a, a prelude as we're considering this, obviously, um, in the context of the MPPF of 2012. Um, you'll be very familiar with the Harmon guidance um, that was written around that um, time it's that document there um, and and I think the, the peak debt and the debt finance needs to be considered in the context of the acknowledgement of the limits under which um, the um, area-wide evidence base um, is undertaken and those limits are and to quote directly from that Harmon guidance, um, something which we thought about, I was on the committee that uh, produced that um, uh, practitioner's guidance. A plan-wide test will only ever provide evidence of policies being broadly viable. And it's the broadly viable man point that uh, I want you to take away on that. So, um, it's, um, so the assumptions that need to be made in order to carry out that test of the plan will mean that site-specific tests will, will, will still present a range of challenges. And, and, and so one's got to look at that sort of broad nature and also the sort of a, 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 
a point equally that came out of that uh, was that assessments are clearly carried out at a at a point in, a point in time. But to now take that to the to the to the financing point. Um, financing is a very subjective matter. It's um, and Pete Decht is um, is is something that um, certainly on a lot of the schemes that I've worked with with developers is very intrinsically linked to the individual uh, developer itself, um, and that relates to both the market and the type of funding that um, one is, um, uh, one is uh, uh, seeking to access at that time. And that, that, that funding may be internal, it may be external. So therefore, there's different ways to analyse finance costs um, and of critical importance of this is perhaps in terms of how um, developers such as Grosvenor will look at this is less of how you finance it in the first instance by, by looking at the sort of project viability of the scheme in the, first, in, in the first case. That is what will go up to the board. So in other words, looking at that cash flow flowing of revenues and costs um, and looking at whether that produces a viable outcome. Then one's looking at how you uh, put on as a secondary consideration how one might look at uh, financing that. And that may be through, as I said, a whole different number of ways, debt, equity, um, and that against, quite rightly, as has been pointed out by Ms. Eaton, um, the, um, the expected rate of return. And that expected rate of return um, relates to both the equity that's being put in as much as the coupon rate which is attached to the, to, to the debt and the need to go out to the markets to, to, to deal with that. So, in, 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 in short, um, um, with great respect to Mr. Hegan, um, uh, he's given a particular way of uh, potentially looking at it, but it, it is only one of a number of ways in which you could look at it. And from the point of view of this high-level base um, uh, analysis, um, what we really need to look at is something which is a lot broader um, and very much reflects um, an early evolution or first cut in terms of policy formation. So just, just really to sort of conclude that, that in practice a scheme such as the, um, um, the, uh, the, the um, uh, GC1, for example, which um, Mr. Hegan um, uh, took you to, um, it, it's really looking at how um, you, you might best achieve that and might best finance that in, in the longer term. Some developers may choose, as I say, to equity finance initial land acquisition, which was referred to by most, uh, Ms. Ms. Eaton and Ms. Mr. Hegan, but they may do that through equity finance. And a lot of the time that may be referred to as what's called patient capital. It's not capital that's immediately expected to produce a return. It's not quite sunk cost because there will be a return at some point, but it doesn't mean to say that it's initially attracting a coupon rate. Uh, then one's uh, sorry, coupon rate is an interest rate, which is um, which, which is talked about, and in, in the um, in the EVS that you're looking at, it's six and a half percent, which has been um, which has been adopted. So there may be a long gestation period in terms of the infrastructure costs, the land payments. The land payments has been talked about will be phased necessarily over the over the period of of, of the development, and therefore the payback equally will come in at different phases. And one will see revenues coming in um, at different phases. And there comes a point, particularly with larger scale developments, where they in effect become self-financing after, after a certain period of time. So in other words, um, you've got revenues which are compensating you for the costs which you've undertaken, whether they be infrastructure or the real costs of um, of, of undertaking putting the bricks in the ground, if you like, yeah, and offsetting it. And there comes a point in any scheme like that where you've where you've reached the payback, you know, the um, 
different. It's the, you've come from the iceberg, if you like, the bit underneath the water to the bit out of the water in terms of, um, uh, of them being in, in the nice position of, of being in positive territory in terms of um, how, how a scheme is working. So I, I, I just thought it was worth just um, spending a little bit of time just explaining what finance actually means and putting it equally in the context of um, this exercise which you are considering in terms of policy formation. Thank you, that's helpful. Mr Warren. I, I don't know, ma'am, whether it would be easier for you if you oh, heard I, Mr Hegan's response. Yeah. Apologies, apologies, it was just a quick response. And, I mean, it's, I appreciate there's different ways to skin a cat when it comes to calculating finance costs for this type of scheme, but another guidance note that the RICS has produced, which I think Mr Fort was uh, one of the co-authors on, is financial viability and planning, and that recommends in the appendix, appendix section that there must be an assumption for a 100% debt financed um, uh, position um, within the appraisal, so where in reality uh, promoters may be sticking in some equity finance for the purposes of viability testing per se, it's, it, it has to be an assumption that it's 100% debt financed, as far as I'm concerned. Obviously different documents that deal with different... Yes, quite. Um, uh, I mean, the, the, um, the RSS guidance of 2012 was very much on a scheme-specific um, uh, basis and I looked at the Harmon guidance, which virtually came out at the same time, uh, was very much dealing with um, uh, local plan testing, as, 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 you, as you well know. Um, there will be an update to the RSS guidance that's going to be coming right. out, which, uh, which will be dealing with uh, probably... With I did look when I got the old one out and I thought, oh, I wonder if there's anything new in it, this, but yes, I couldn't find a anything there. New one coming with the, um, obviously, with the advent of the uh, new MPPF and, uh, the, M -M -M yeah. and uh, the MPG of May this year, but obviously that's not something that needs to, um, uh, needs, needs to trouble you. But um, there are also, you'll see if you're... Um, I'm glad you've seen it. <laughs> uh, you'll also see, and I, and I, I say this from memory, it, um, it, it um, appears around, it's in the appendices where you'll see a little academic um, piece, I call it the academic piece, which is in, in one, of the, um, one of the pieces which actually talks about the way in which one looks at, um, at project viability, and you'll see the academics will sort of say a point that you should actually do exactly what I said at the beginning, you strip out finance to start off with to actually look at the, um, uh, look at the viability, and, and that is consistent with um, how you, um, um, you, you may undertake um, um, uh, viability analysis across a whole range of things, from water systems running across um, Great Plains to building bridges um, and, and, and development, and, um, and certainly most of the major development um, that I've been involved in will look at things on a, on a project IRR basis. But we, we won't go into that. But uh, but the um, but the point that's, that I'm really making here is that the high-level analysis which has been done. Um, through the toolkit model that's, uh, that the EVS has been relied on, provides what would fit with the Harman um, you know, broad approach to what is viable, um, and, and that is all. That is the test that you're seeking to apply in this particular instance. 
Um, I, I think Mr. Hegan's gone down into a considerable amount of detail, and, um, and, a, and, a, and, that, and, a, and there are a lot of valid points there, but it's at a point of detail which is, um, is, is perhaps um, uh, looking at things from a very different perspective to the level that you need to look at it for the purposes of this um, examination. Thank you, ma'am. <clears throat> Project IRR and that kind of thing, I can barely deal with at 10 to 10 in the morning, let alone 10 to 6 in the afternoon. Uh, I, um, I'm fortunate, though, because on behalf of Eastern Park, I'm, I'm able to make a different kind of point in relation to the viability work. You've seen from our representations that uh, Landsex on its own uh, confidential cost plan and viability appraisal. Um, th there are strikingly different aspects to the viability assessment at Eastern Park compared to other sites, and I, I anticipate here that includes the um, North Uttlesford site. Um, and I'll just enumerate um, two or three of them just to give you, just to give you an idea of that. Um, the, the most important one is that Land Securities has owned Eastern Park freehold for well over a decade. Uh, and so, um, having purchased it at agricultural land values or thereabouts, the land purchase, the finance cost aspects of the debate that you've been hearing don't apply in relation to this large site. Um, it, in addition, um, there are other aspects to the develop proposed development of Eastern Park uh, which are important in viability terms, not the least of which is the potentially substantial amount of commercial development, not housing development, but commercial development, which can take place early in the plan period. Obviously, that has a potentially substantial effect on viability in the early days. Um, and, and thirdly, this is a site which will take, as we all know, um, many years to deliver. But during that time, it's not costing land securities uh, money. It's making land securities money because it not only has a, a very large agricultural operation continuing on it, but it has an active mineral works, as you, you'll have seen from your site visit, no doubt, yesterday, uh, some of which will be continuing uh, for some years yet. Uh, um, so without descending to, to the level of detail, I hope you'll be as thrilled as I am about that at this stage of the afternoon. Uh, th there are some, some very big differentiating factors relating to land securities site at Eastern Park. No, that, that's really helpful. Is there anything anybody else wants to say? Mr. Brearley, sorry. Uh, <coughs> can you hear me? I'll delve through all the cups of coffee and get to the, the mic a bit closer. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I always seem to get the, the graveyard shift, which is always lovely. Um, I just wanted to make a couple of points, really. Uh, the first one is that you have got a number of documents in front of you which indicate that the garden villages are capable of being viable. And I think that's an important point to make. They are different. They all show slightly different um, outputs. But in general, if you drew a sort of coordination around them, you would see that it would suggest the weight of evidence suggests that they are capable of being viable. Um, and I think it's also important to, to recognise that you've got to consider the best evidence available. Um, and I would say that BCS and land registry data is, is, a, is the best available data that um, the council should be considering as a starting point. And actually, I mean, for, for example, on um, land reg, it, it market value is market value. I mean, you're talking about discounting it for various things. Uh, and this is where I slightly dif differ in view to the council on the discounting for a garden village value. Um, 
it's a garden village. Uh, if you're taking a value of a property that's already in existence and you're comparing it to something that's going to be within this beautiful garden village with all the amenities, with all the schools and all the rest of it, I think I'd know where I'd rather live. And therefore, I'd, I'd probably pay an incentive on that rather than a discount. The argument on discount uh, was, was twofold. One was incentives. Well, how do you account for incentives? In a good mar market, you don't give any incentives. When things are flying, when it's struggling, you may give some. But where does that come out in the appraisal? It comes out in the profit return to the developer, not off the land value. Otherwise, the market value of the properties would be different to that on land reg. So really, it's on return. So that's a risk associated with developers. That's an individual thing, not something we need to concern ourselves with. The second point was on delivery rate. Uh, you heard 250 a year was the annual rate of delivery. Well, I think we've got 40% full housing here. So actually, you're talking about selling 150 homes a year private at that rate. Um, I don't think it takes five outlets, five developers, to deliver 30, out, 30 per uh, developer a year. So I just don't think there is that concern of, of over-delivery, you know, too many houses and people fighting for them. And, and secondly, on that point, um, developers are not stupid. They're going to deliver different types of products. They're going to deliver different types of units. So they are not in competition in the same way. Uh, yes, if you increase up, there will be some. But I don't think it will make a significant difference and, and, and therefore necessary to discount away. Um, on the build, developers build as they go along on a, on a large site like this. They build down the road. And doing that, you, your construction costs and, and the costs you're associated with doing, actually physically building the road as you go along, apart from maybe some primary piece of infrastructure, you can cope and you manage that as you build along. So you never build too, too many roads down with nothing along them. You always build the houses as you go along. So that manages your, your sort of program. And it's no different for a big, you know, huge scheme to a small scheme in that sense. Um, and in doing so, if you know you've got 15, 20 years of construction, I'm pretty sure you can go down to a bricklayer, I mean, a brick company or, or tarmac or whatever and say, look, I only need you to build me 50 houses every year or 30 houses every year, but you can do it for the next 100 years. How about a deal? And of course they're going to. You're going to. So th there's always going to be something on, on bulk. So that is there. Um, on the infrastructure, you've got several documents again, which again are floating around. If you look at it with, in net, if you look at it without professional fees and without um, other costs. About £50,000 of infrastructure and Section 106 per house. And that's not inconsistent across the board with other developments around the country, um, as indicated by Three Dragons in their comparison. So whether or not it's in this particular item or in this particular item, as an average, it's coming out around there. So that feels relatively comfortable. Um, on the land front... There was some discussion about when you buy that. Uh, I mean, if I was a developer and I owned one of these garden villages on my own, which some of the people around this table may be in that, in that scenario, I don't think I'd want to, to have 40% of the value up front um, because you have a huge tax bill with that. And why would you buy, as a developer, say, in the, you know, 40% of, of 5,000 houses at 130 an acre, which was the indicated price. That would be 350 acres of land that you've bought, and you're not delivering any houses for a number of years. So 
you don't need to buy that much land. And just as an indication, we have um, Landsec saying that they, they wouldn't be doing it on that basis. And I can assure you for um, Galliard on West of Braintree, we also would have an agreement we wouldn't need to do it on that basis. So I think the, the concept of it might work for a you know, three, four, four acre site where you want your money up front at 40%, but not when you're talking 1,000 acres of land. It just would be an insane amount of money and, and completely unnecessary. Um, and then just lastly on the commercial cash flow point development is, is a commercial business you are going to manage that process you want to do it sustainably so you'll introduce pieces of infrastructure houses, schools and that sort of thing when it all works there is no point building a school in a field and then there being no houses to, to go to it for a period of time so it is a commercial exercise, and developers will always consider that when they're building out their developments. I think that's all I have to say. Okay, I just want to come back on any of that. Hopefully that was quite helpful. Probably, yeah, I mean, it's just really a, a, an overall point. Uh, I mean, clearly you've heard, um, and you've got a, a wealth of um, professional evidence provided for you, Obviously, those who carry out viability appraisals have different views within the profession uh, on different matters. But what you've been given uh, is clearly fit for purpose uh, for a local plan examination, which is what we are engaged in. And it may well be that, um, Mr. Hegan, if you were doing a, a scheme appraisal for an individual project, might use a different approach. But that's not the exercise we're engaged in. And in a sense, really, the, as it were, the proof of the pudding here is that there are three large um, garden communities being proposed by the council. The council's uh, uh, review of the evidence suggests that they are uh, viable and can be delivered. But the council isn't, as it were, the only voice saying that. You've got three promoters who nobody can say, uh, as it were, are naive in their knowledge uh, of the... Uh, the, the development world, and all three of them, for uh, with their own separate professional advice, are confirming, not necessarily every jot and tittle of the council's figures, but confirming the bottom line conclusion that each of these garden communities is viable. And I think, the, in a sense, the weight of evidence, notwithstanding Mr. Hegan's views, is clearly that uh, that is the, the proper outcome. Thank you. I think we've probably covered everything we need to cover. Thank you, Ms. Easton, and thank you. That was quite a helpful uh, um, um, look at a uh, critique of, of what's been undertaken. Um, I think that's covered all the points, apart from we need to mention that tomorrow, because of um, availability of people to um, attend, then um, Eastern Park, although it's first on the agenda, we'll deal with that last part of the day so I'm just letting people know if that's all you was coming for then you might not want to come till after lunch or whatever have a lion in the morning um, yes so that'll slide up the agenda yes I know, I so you'll have to get up early but you'll get home a well, bit I'm going off this idea now but no, that's, <laughs> so we're first Excellent. so 9.30 start again 9.30 tomorrow. great yeah. And then we can slope off and get to someone else. Great. <laughs>
Okay, Mr. Warren. Okay, can I, I, there was, on, on your, any other rele relevant matters, there was one point, ma'am, but I just wonder, can I, can I just check that it's okay to raise it tomorrow when we, when we come on to deal with Eastern Park tomorrow? It's about one of the focus changes. It does go to SP5 rather than SP6, but it's a very Eastern yes, Park-specific point about... It's probably better to deal with should, it. Should we leave that over? And we're all a bit more... It's, it's flagged up in, and just for Malone friends' note, it's flagged up in our reps on the uh, 27th of November 2018 so that's the point that we'll be making thank you okay thank you so yeah so we'll finish now and um, return tomorrow at 9 30 thank you I'll just remind you to clear, clear your mess up as well so that Louise doesn't have to clear up after everybody <laughs> <laughs>